This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Thursday. Ah, Thursday means one more day till the weekend. Hope you're having a great day and uh, hope you're safe, healthy, happy. Remember, the goal of this program is to help you live longer and love stronger today. No exception. Have we got a lineup for you? We will be talking about emotional intelligence, if you remember. Uh, We've talked about it on the show many times. It's the idea that you have the power to manage your emotion, to lower your emotion, to not get hijacked by somebody speaking at a Democratic convention. Or then, Republican, either one. And then spend, for example, hypothetically, four or five days chasing said person. <laughs> Emotionally intelligent people. Man, it is a huge advantage in life. And today we'll be talking about how, by having emotional control, we're going to determine how it helps you handle the losses in your life. Hmm. I think this would be a really good thing to teach some of our politicians, some that I'm thinking about in particular. <laughs> we'll be getting to that uh, emotional intelligence topic in a few moments. Um, we've also got, of course, a lot of headlines. The goal of the show is to give you the news, but not just the news. We give you kind of added information. Sometimes we even make it up. Well, Ben does. I've never made it up. I think the statistic was our show is about 5% accurate no, overall. No, 95% accurate. 5% made up. That seems a little high. Yeah, well. It's mean it's, in the middle, like 55. Eh, let's be accurate. 95% accurate. 5%. Uh, could go either way. That's why it's my show, Ben. <laughs> Not your show. Uh, we've got a lot going on with that. But also, we're going to get to the headlines. And who better to help us with the headlines than Sadie Nielsen? Sadie? Senior Justice Department officials objected to a plan to fly a jet with cash to Iran at the same time as four American hostages were released, worrying that it would create a bad impression. They were ultimately overruled by the State Department. People knew what it was going to look like, and there were concerns that Iranians probably did consider it a ransom payment, one one person familiar with the discussion said. Donald Trump's bad week continues to get worse, as one of his most loyal defenders now says he is an unacceptable candidate at present. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich said on Wednesday, in a Wednesday morning interview with The Washington Post, Trump is helping her to win by proving he is more unacceptable than she is. Republican vice presidential nominee Mike Pence said he strongly supports the re-election of House Speaker Paul Ryan one day after his running mate Donald Trump refused to do so. Trump has refused to throw his support behind Ryan or Senator John McCain, saying he is not quite there yet. However, Pence said, I'm very confident after Donald Trump is elected president and Paul Ryan is reelected to Congress and Speaker of House, these two will do great things to restore the country. And Libertarian presidential nominee Gary Johnson and his running mate do not agree with the notion that casting a ballot for a third party candidate is a wasted vote. A wasted vote is voting for somebody that you don't believe in. And we're going to continue if we're going to continue to vote for the lesser of the two evils. That's still evil, Johnson said. And finally, a street preacher broadcasting live during an Arizona storm captured the moment that he was almost struck by a bolt of lightning. 
Nick Grimsman, a blogger who travels the world doing street evangelism and broadcasting his talks on Periscope, was using a live stream app to film during a rainstorm on the streets of Scottsdale. Grimsman tells his viewers he is headed for shelter when suddenly a bolt of lightning strikes close to where he is standing, knocking him off balance. However, he was not harmed during his street sermons. Wow. Mm -hmm. Lucky. Very lucky. I guess blessed. Here's the crazy thing. Johnson, uh, the third-party candidate... Libertarian. Libertarian candidate says he does not think... Voting for a third-party candidate is a waste of a vote. It's a very good point if you're the third-party candidate. Of course it's not a waste of a vote. Come on. You don't, you don't want to you know, cut yourself out of this deal. Isn't, Paul, isn't this a great time of year? Just the political, the smell of Usually it's not burning. this volatile. Yeah. Usually you have two people and they end up talking about policy and what they're going to do with your taxes. And then it gets – the only tension is when they kind of go after each other about, you know, how much their – how high their corporate tax percentage will be or something. It's um, – And it's – honestly, it's kind of boring. Yeah. It's normally very boring. The only people that get all worked up about it are the people on the cable news trying to stay on the air for 24 hours. That's right. Yesterday, by the way, was incredibly exciting because there was all of this uh, hullabaloo about Donald Trump's insider teams falling apart and everybody being mad at each other. And Yes. But then Donald it, came out amazingly in his speech and said – I mean, out of nowhere says, we have never been more united as a campaign. Clip six campaign is doing really well it's never been so well united we started on june 16th i would say right now it's the best in terms of being united that it's been since we began so he he wasn't asked the question he just brought it up himself because you always talk about how united you are when there's no problems right who and i don't (sighs) even when you hear that you don't believe it so why would he think we're believing it I think he just thinks you can say it and it's going to be believed. Yeah. But they're united, obviously. Uh, now, granted, there is sort of a feeling of piling on by all the different columnists and TV reporters and things talking about this. Yeah. But, you know, smoke and fire is yeah, kind of – they kind of go, go together. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what, what the truth is of all this. And but I don't know if you noticed this yesterday, but as Donald was speaking, he sounded like he was a lot more um, educated – and informed yeah. on certain topics, <laughs> like as he talked about the Iran deal and the money, the four hundred million dollar uh, pallet full of money. It was. I was reading this out of the Huffington Post, so you yeah. have to take it for that. Because at they, the bottom it says basically Donald Trump's a scumbag. That, yeah, that's your editorial yeah. note at the bottom of every article about Donald Trump is that basically he's a scumbag. <laughs> uh, but what they're talking about during his his campaign stop, he's talking about watching a video. Taking that's taken at an Iranian airport, you see a cargo plane land. Mm-hmm. Pallets start being unloaded. Now he goes, the camera, wonderful camera work, steady yeah. shot, perfect, crystal clear. Obviously, a government video, maybe top secret, and starts giving you all these details about this video from an Iranian airport that right. apparently nobody else has. He goes, this isn't paparazzi. They don't do too well in that country, <laughs> you know, and and. So then the Huffington Post reporter is like, didn't Donald Trump just start getting his uh, you know, national security yeah. briefings 
that are top secret? And is he already talking about them, which is kind of a concern that some people have? Oh, that I, he bet, could... I bet the CIA, they are so nervous. Yeah. Because he'll – he would say something. Not, not even – I don't even think intentionally. Well, because I, I he, think half that's... the stuff he's doing, he's making up anyway. Yeah. He's spitballing. Yeah. So when you're spitballing but you just were briefed, can you discern what you shouldn't say and what you should say on day two? Right. Scary. We have two candidates that people have serious doubts should be getting a national security briefing at the moment. Yeah. One can't handle her emails. The other one can't handle his mouth. <laughs> so. <laughs> and meanwhile, uh, the libertarians are out talking. Um, they, they, too, have an opinion about both of those candidates. Gary Johnson. Um, this was on CNN. They had a town hall meeting last night. big town hall. They, they're starting to speak. Do you understand why some 64% of registered voters find her untrustworthy? Yeah, totally. I, I, I totally get it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, Give me and a break. It, and I do leave that uh, to others. Um, I, I, I have issues with her on all these issues, and it starts with growing government. Taxes are going to go up in a significant way. Was there anything that she didn't promise to anyone in her acceptance speech at the Democrat National Convention, and I do believe she has been an architect uh, of our foreign policy, Libya and Syria, as an example. Yeah, yeah. I don't trust her. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Hillary's already there. Now the talk is about who's going to be in Hillary's cabinet. Right. She's 10 points up. Donald was imploding the last four days. He did really well yesterday. When when they tell him to get on message, mm-hmm. he's almost sixty percent on message. Yeah, he he did bring up in his campaign stop a bunch of things that happened during the primaries that were all yeah. controversies that he had to fight through. Then <laughs> he just brings them back up because why not? Why not? It's you know it's just in his head. Yeah, whatever's in his head's got to come out. It's got to come out one way or another. But the vice presidential candidate Bill Weld, who many people love, Mitt Romney thinks he'd be a great candidate. Mm-hmm. And would and Mitt Romney says he would vote for Bill Weld if he was at the head of the ticket. This is uh, vice libertarian vice presidential candidate Bill Weld's view of um, of Donald Trump. You know, he's a showman. He's a pied piper. He's the he's the music man. Uh, but I, more recently, it's gotten a little bit more serious. And and the noun that comes to my mind is uh, a screw loose. Uh, and <laughs> you you really think so? No, no, I do, I do. It's a it's a temperamental question, and, and I, I say this almost uh, with affection for Donald Trump. Maybe he should consider some other line of work, like anything other than president of the United States. You don't think he- That's a good point. Yeah. He, he had a, it, it's a great wide world. Tons yeah. of opportunity for Mr. Donald Trump. I mean, he could almost, I don't know, he could get into anything. He could, he could be a show host yeah. for some television show he he'd probably be great in business maybe real estate yeah i mean he, he could own a vineyard <laughs> he could he could a, a hotel oh man i mean he's got a lot of opportunities <laughs> there's a company selling uh the trump taj mahal in atlantic city it'll close down on labor day he could pick that up for probably a, a nice price oh yeah yeah uh meanwhile yesterday too trump wasn't going to necessarily endorse ryan but Mike Pence, Trump's vice president, steps in and, and just strongly endorses Ryan. So it makes you wonder if there's a little this was on Fox tension. News. I'm strongly supporting. 
support Paul Ryan, strongly endorse his reelection. He's a longtime friend. He's a strong conservative leader. I believe we need Paul Ryan in leadership in the Congress of the United States to rebuild our military, to strengthen our economy, um, and to ensure that we have the kind of leadership uh, in this country that will make America great again. Well, I think what Donald Trump said is he's not there yet. These are two men that are building a good relationship, and uh, I'm really? very confident. Uh, after Donald Trump's elected president and Paul Ryan's uh, reelected to Congress and as Speaker of the House, these two men are going to do great things to restore this country at home and abroad. I don't feel like they're building a good relationship. It doesn't seem like that. No, a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It, especially when Donald's using the exact same words Paul Ryan used. Just I'm like, not there yet. I'm just going to take this nice little, package it up, and put it right in your face. There you go. How do Which, you like it? <laughs> again, it's just – what it is is Donald Trump, he's not a politician. No. There's certain things you don't do just because it doesn't look good. It, it makes you look petty, mm-hmm. and Trump doesn't seem to care. D- no. It's, and a lot of this you could see is just – it's just gamesmanship. Now, this goes back to him. I'm not his – like I'm not politically correct. I'm not going to do these things yeah. that other people have done and people like that. But at the same time, there's just this overreaching image of being a jerk. And, and after a while, that pulls you down. Well, and one of the things that Donald doesn't seem to do very well is help people save face. So sometimes you you are still nice publicly to your enemy to help – everybody save face yeah. but he's not into that it's like you, you you publicly say good things and then you can rip them behind the scenes yeah, but we, you just do things to lift the party exactly. lift Every, everyone up and no problem that might be the dilemma here donald i'm not sure donald he's not a team player he, and he's not i don't know that he's really for the party well he's not a republican we've right. established that so if if he's not for the party then it's really the republicans didn't get a nominee Donald party is, you know, 40 percent of the ex-Republicans and whoever else he picks up. Then you've got Hillary. So who's the Republican? Well, according to the Republican committee, Trump is the nominee full stop. There is no changing. We're not going to flip it. You know, he's not going to get out. We'll put a new new well, unless- candidate in. He's the guy. I would bet. Full stop. They said full stop. They said full stop. Yeah. Okay, well, then if they said full stop. Conversation's over. Now, granted, he could just say, eh, I'm done and walk away. Well. But they've I, said full stop, so there's if, no conversation. If he kept spinning like he was the last four days, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to bet the stop would be less full. Yeah. <laughs> the stop would open up and they'd be like, yeah, you got to get rid of this guy. <laughs> this guy's nuts. I don't know what they're going to do. But uh, did you watch the Johnson Libertarian Fest? Just the clips. Yeah, I missed that. Yeah. The uh, the Green Party yeah. will have a uh, town hall meeting on CNN August 17th. Excellent. Something else I'll get clips off Facebook. Is that's the Green where they Party. Put so that's Jill, Jill Stein? Yes, and then somebody else. And, and her, we'll find out, apparently. Yeah. She's out there. It's been named. I just don't know who it is, and it's the Green Party, so but I'm not sure how viable that is. a really is. good point. Um about the numbers. Yeah. Since the end of the, I guess, primary, because now we have the two nominees, right. there, were, there were 16 Republicans who have suspended their campaigns. See, they've suspended them, but yeah. none of them have, I guess, but it's a, it's, closed down their campaign. It's kind of a financial thing because yeah. they still have outstanding debt. 
if you shut your campaign down, then there's different You probably have to immediately pay, or something. clean out the accounts. Yeah, so they can't have time to pay off debt. And on the Democratic side, there were four mm-hmm. other candidates who suspended their campaigns. And? Bernie Sanders has not suspended his campaign yet. Well, that's weird. Yeah. Why? Because he hasn't suspended it's his campaign. It's the strangest thing. And as of June 28th, I saw um, uh article saying that he has no plans to do that whatsoever. Well, unless, unless of course, some records are released that destroy Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And, uh, and if you heard his endorsement at the, at the convention, it yeah. was, we need to do what's best for this country, yeah. and that's to not elect Donald Trump. And by doing yeah. that, it's by voting for Hillary Clinton. Which, yeah. So really... Not endorsing no, Hillary. I highly endorse beating Trump. Yes. <laughs> and the only way, apparently, to do that would be by taking this lady and voting for her. So as we're... Moving into our, our guest coming up here about yeah. pe- how, how people deal with loss. I don't know if Bernie's dealing with loss too well. I, I, think, I think you're right. I, I think he might have well, some he, hangups. He might be brilliant. Yeah. Because there's still a lot of people that are mad. And, you know, this is crazy town. This could go anywhere. We're going to – I'm going to throw a curveball at our next guest because we're going to be talking about emotional control. And he doesn't even think – he didn't know – he doesn't know. I'm going to ask him about Donald Trump. We're going to find out what an expert in uh, emotional intelligence thinks about the Don. Boy, it's going to be a fun uh, discussion. Stick with us, folks. Damon Brown, renowned author and columnist, will be joining us. We're talking emotional control and how it can help you handle loss in life. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, genius, persistence, and passion are important, but they mean little without emotional intelligence, without some ability to manage your your emotions and, and to understand the emotions of others. In fact, it can elevate you above circumstances that would stop a lesser leader. All of us will experience loss in some form or another, and without Emotional intelligence loss could cause us to crumble under the circumstances. Joining us today, Damon Brown is a renowned author and columnist. He's here with us uh, this morning to talk about how emotional intelligence can aid us in handling loss in our lives. Damon Brown, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Excellent. Great to have you on the show. I love uh, your writing in uh, Inc.com. Wonderful stuff. There, um, Damon, emotional intelligence, we, we talk about it on the show almost every month, but uh, just for a little summary, explain, redefine emotional intelligence for us. Sure, and so we know about IQ, and uh, as far as your intelligent quotient, that's something that we've known for, for several decades now, and it talks about uh, the ability for your brain to work in a certain way, for you to understand concepts, for you to adapt. Emotional intelligence, or EQ, is actually taking that idea but applying it to how you deal with situations emotionally. And so, for instance, yeah, teach us, yeah. Oh, oh, of course. And so, uh, for instance, if you have a uh, if you have a situation that you're in where you get into like a car accident, and the person that you ran into is yelling at you at the moment, then how you react to that will reflect your emotional intelligence. Yeah. Now, your IQ is a little bit different because your IQ might be the wisdom to know what the next step would be logically. 
the logic isn't going to help you if emotionally you can't deal with the situation. Yeah, if you're having a breakdown, or if you exactly, exactly, your brain's not going to help you. Right? <laughs> and and if you like, because that's the thing with emotional intelligence is it's so subtle. It's it almost um, it swells up inside of us. It might my, my intelligence doesn't necessarily swell up and make me want to haul off and hit somebody, but my ability to control my emotion and and I guess too. Um, understand what I'm feeling, but also look at and understand the emotions of others and know how to kind of manage those emotions. That's all emotional intelligence. Huge, exactly. I think that's a huge part of it, which I neglected to mention, but you're right, where it's not just how you feel and how you manage that, but also the whole world around you and the, the six or seven billion people around the world, we're all going to react differently. And so if you're interacting with someone who has a different type of emotional intelligence, then you need to manage that. Um, I'm actually a parent of two kids, and so I deal with emotional intelligence every <laughs> single day. Yeah. <laughs> but your baby, for example, how old's your baby, Damon? Um, actually, I have two. So I have uh, a three-year-old, and then I have a four-month-old. But isn't it interesting that um, how the four-month-old, again, so innocent, so perfect, nothing but just, <laughs> you know, just trying to eat and sleep and poop. But... That little cry, have you ever noticed, like a cry at three in the morning, when you hear that cry, your brain has a reaction. And and you can almost sometimes feel, and by, I have six kids, Damon, um, so by the time you've done wow. this a lot, you, your body, st- you, you start noticing that something as simple as just a cry or a noise or somebody saying, Dad, why are you doing that? can create this reaction inside of you, inside of each of us. So that's why I think I, I, I didn't tell you we wanted to talk about this, but um, because you're you're into everything, Damon. As you, as I go to your website, damontalks.strikingly.com, you can see your, your content, your books on passion and understanding, connection and communication. What do you think when we're talking about emotional intelligence about what you're seeing going on with Donald Trump? I, I think there's a low level of emotional intelligence, and I do think he's a smart man. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think he would have gotten this far if he wasn't smart. I think he's smarter than we give him credit for. Right. And I'm not, I'm not his biggest fan. I'm speaking just from an yeah. objective standpoint. You know, you don't, you don't dumb your way to the presence. No. It, it, it doesn't work like that. But he also, people, he knows how to read people, right? So he's emotionally intelligent enough to know how to get followers, but he doesn't seem like yeah, he can control yeah. his own emotion like when you make a funny comment about him. Well, you know what's funny is that that actually might be the part that makes him endearing to some of the population in, here in America because you end up having someone who um, seems vulnerable and seems insecure. Yeah. And oh, yeah. maybe he may not be, but he happens to know what to say for the parts of the population that like him. Right. Again, there, there seems to be a strategy at play, and I think it's really important to understand that. Um, one of my favorite books is The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Uh-huh. And if someone was kind of confused about what's happening with Trump right now, I would implore them to read that book and better understand how people use power. And it's similar to... Um, I'm going to get slightly obscure, but I'm a big fan of the classic martial arts movies. And there's uh, there's a trope called the drunken monk. 
And what he does is he's a fighter, but he actually seems like he's drunk all the time. Oh, so he's always just hanging around out on the street, seemingly drunk, but he stops a fight. Exactly. Yeah. And, and he ends up he ends up being the guy that you that's like you underestimate him. It's like, oh, well, he's he's the drunk guy. Whatever. We're not yeah. gonna we're not gonna worry about him. And then, of course, by the end of the film, he's beating everybody up and he's saving <laughs> the town and all these crazy things. I think it's very similar. Where interesting. This is, part, this is part of Trump's persona. Yeah. Like this. You know, I've been observing him for several years, not even several years, probably a couple of decades by now. And this is his persona, the persona you see on The Apprentice. If you go back to um, The Art of the Deal, right. came out in the mid-80s, which is controversial now because now the ghostwriter is disavowing the book. <laughs> and so I just read about that in The New Yorker. That's fascinating as a, as a writer. Um, but you, you see that it's always been the same trope. So the way he's going towards the presidency in the same way that he made a deal with Taj Mahal over in Atlantic City, the same way that he, he presented himself with his, uh, his ghostwriter, Tony Schwartz, or actually his public ghostwriter, Tony Schwartz, back in 1987 or so in the Art of the Deal. So it's kind of the same pattern. Hmm. And if you look at the history, yeah. it seems to work for him. So I don't know if he's going to get the presidency, but I definitely see what do you do? Like, I don't think we should underestimate it. Yeah. Well, have you ever written that? Is a great. You need to write that as an article. Have you ever written that in your article? No, no. I I generally stay away from politics. I bet. <laughs> but but emo, I mean, emotionally intelligent wise, that's such a great example. Every nobody paid any attention to Donald because he was he was just the drunk dude making a scene, and the next thing you know, he's he's in the final two. Yeah, and, and I think that that's something that um, that many of us can relate to, not the drunken monk part, <laughs> but yeah. that many of us can relate to as far as some of the most interesting things we've done has been when no one was watching the door. Mm-hmm. And so I know for myself, I've written 17 books, and a lot of the books that I wrote early on, they were totally under the radar. People weren't really talking about me. People weren't paying attention. People didn't know I wrote books. And so that really allowed me to develop a style. And by the time I got notoriety, I already had a half a dozen books out. Man. And that ended up being to my advantage because then my older books ended up selling. And I was actually developing my own voice within the way that I wanted to do it. Um, I don't know if that trumps past. No. But it is one of those things where if people knew that he'd get this far in the presidency, he wouldn't have made it this far in the presidency. Exactly. Yeah, they're like, that guy's not even drunk. <laughs> He's just that out of control. That's so true. Yeah, I knew you'd have good insight on this. Um, okay, we probably ought to get back to your the article about emotional intelligence, because the, the ability to recognize my emotions, share my emotion, manage my emotion, understand other people's emotions, you, you posit that that could be one of your greatest advantages to handling loss, to handling tough times in your life. 100%. And... It's really about reframing, reframing your experience. And I'm a storyteller. You're likely a storyteller. Yeah. So we have that we have that advantage, where if there's something really challenging happening in our lives, we can frame it however we like. And that's a very useful tool. For instance, again, if I end up being in a situation like a car accident or something to that effect, how I frame that will totally change how I react to that. So if it's something where, well, I need a new car anyway, then it's like, okay, well, that's the loss, but this is prompting me to change, and that's something I should have done before. 
if I look at it, if I look at it as I have very bad luck, then that might prompt other bad things to happen mm-hmm. because everything I look at will be within that framework. It's Something so as true. Simple as that, and right, and creating some type of context for yourself. Um, I'm a really big fan of context, so things aren't isolated incidents, but they're actually fit within the context of something bigger. And my belief is that you create whatever that context is. I mean, it's one of the reasons why you have people who go through what could be objectively some of the most horrific or difficult things, and they seem fine. You know, they seem to, to be optimistic, or they seem to be ready to, to, move, to move on with their life. And you have other people who go through things that are really basic or really simple, and it seems to totally ravish them. And I think that's beyond something where it's just people, certain people have strong personalities and certain people have weak ones. I think it's more about people setting up a context for themselves as far as how they're going to interpret what happened. Yeah. And, and you attribute that, I guess, to just kind of the in- inherent ability or, or gift of emotional intelligence. Uh, well, I think it's something that can be grown. Yeah, yeah. And you, so and more than a gift, yeah. Kids. Exactly right. I brought up kids, and, and, and you said you have six. So yeah. very similar to that. Now, part of that is brain function for kids, but it's still a, a decent analogy, I think, where, you know, for my three-year-old, I'm teaching him, and my wife is teaching him emotional intelligence. Yeah. Where if you, if you don't get this particular toy and someone else wants it, then you don't have to throw something, you don't have to... You know, hit them, you don't have to yell. That's an excellent example of emotional intelligence. The same thing is happening. Someone's taking your toy. Right. How you react to it is very different. And that's something that can be learned. And that's why with parenting, that's why with um, I serve as a mentor to, to different startups and to even to, to some kids. And that's why mentorship is so important. That's why having good guidance is so important. And I think having a higher emotional intelligence is something you considerably work on. Um, and it's a constant thing. Uh, one of the columns that I have for him, for Inc. Magazine Online, is talking about how we still make bad decisions even though we have high emotional intelligence. Yeah. And that's because that's because it's always a sense of growth. You're not going to be 100% emotionally intelligent all the time. Like, that's just not human. Yeah, you're going to have a bad you know? moment here and there. <laughs> Exactly, of course. And I talked about that briefly where um, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. Oh, I am too. And she has these, right? And so I've been involved with the TED conference. I've seen her speak at TED a couple times, and she's just absolutely amazing. Okay, Damon, hang on one sec, Damon. we got to take a break, but I want to come back, continue the discussion about Brene, also get into uh, more of uh, storytelling and how we control our story and learn from you as a writer, how we can write a better story out of our lives. We're talking with Damon Brown from damontalks.strikingly.com. Also, just go to damonbrown.net, and uh, we'll, we're going to find out more about emotional intelligence and how it can uh, help you lead your life. We'll be right back. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about emotional control, emotional management, also known as emotional intelligence. 
And uh, Damon Brown is joining us. Damon is a writer, a columnist. Uh, he's written many, many books. Um, and if you, he's a speaker from TED Talks. If you've gone to those, he's also co-founded the social meetup app Cuddler, um, while being the primary caretaker to his uh, infant child. And now he uh, he now has two children and raising their his beautiful children and trying to teach them how to as they grow up how to manage their emotion even more effectively. Damon Brown, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great to have you. And uh, loved your article in Inc. called uh, that was titled "This Is the Way Emotionally Intelligent Leaders Handle Loss." Um, talk to us. One thing you've taught us already is emotional uh, in, emotionally intelligent leaders manage they see they see these difficult times as a chance to kind of re-script to reframe the story and as a writer i wanted to find out from you because you talked about context as well how do we how do we write the story what what are the essential parts of the story that we need to make sure are included and are there certain parts of the story we may not need to spend as much time on that is an excellent question. I, I think there's a few different elements. <laughs> and because of storytelling, and I love storytelling, I probably can talk on and on, so please stop me if I go. No, you're good. <laughs> so, so one of the things that, uh, that's essential to a story is the creation myth. So when did this person start? When mm. did it begin? And if we lean on them, um, I would implore anyone interested to check out uh, Joseph Campbell's the Hero of a Thousand Faces. And that is a classic book. It's about mythology, and it's about how there are essentially 12 or so steps to every major story that we know, whether it's uh, the birth of Jesus and his life down to Star Wars. Hmm. There's certain certain things that, certain patterns like a that, formula. that resonate with us. Like a formula that, that resonate with us in, in storytelling. And it's particularly as a storyteller, it's essential reading, but even if you want to understand your life better. But there's the creation myth. So when did you actually start in this path? And, for instance, for me, when I started writing, that was when I was a toddler. And so I learned my creation myth from my parents. Well, they said, oh, yeah, well, you started writing when you were, like, two and a half, three. And that's when you started your journey. Oh, I'm wow. Like, wow, that's when I started my journey. Um, my journey as far as being an author didn't start until probably about a, a dozen dozen years ago, when I decided, hey, maybe I'll write a book. And then suddenly it began, and there's a whole story behind that. And so, essentially, it's you owning your story and realizing that you're transforming. One of the things that we deal with in regards to emotional intelligence is us realizing what we have in control and what we do not have in control. And when it comes to storytelling, if you understand the beginning of your birth, then it's better to get control and know that this is part of a bigger story. It gives you context, and it makes you understand that you have a higher purpose, and that creation myth, when you started on this path, that was the beginning of your higher purpose. Uh, For instance, as far as becoming a parent, there's no way that I could be the same person I was before, before I, I had kids. So that becomes part of the creation myth. It becomes part of the thing of I'm being transformed by this, but I'm also understanding that I'm going to be a better person because of this. Yeah. And so it's essentially you making peace 
what the changes have been in your life, whether you started them or if you did not, but at least creating some type of formula for that. I mean, you um, could I, even I just make it, oh, sorry, uh, th- you could even just make that, it, Damon, please. that this accident or this situation or this job loss is the beginning of the new you or the new opportunity. I, mean, I guess you can always insert the new chapter and the new change. hundred percent, exactly. And realizing that you're assuming even that you're going to be better if, based on this change, based on this new, new you. Yeah. And well, the thing with the creation myth, you know, which goes back to, to Campbell, is that it isn't necessarily when you're born, but the concept that we're reborn over and over again. So we're always different people, whether it's something subtle that happens during the course of the day and it changes our mindset to something, again, much bigger that changes who we are. And every time we have some type of change like that, whether it's self-initiated or done from, you know, from the outside universe, those are all opportunities for emotional intelligence. And perhaps that's really the best definition of emotional intelligence is you using your highest self to deal with the world at large. Mm. And maybe that's really what emotional intelligence is. Oh, I love that. And two, I, I think it's so powerful that um, how the role that we play as parents and even the role that we just play as bosses, as coworkers, as friends, as neighbors, as spouses on helping to sculpt the story of those around us. Because being emotionally intelligent, I also have the ability to help you feel better about your own emotion and ma- and your own life. Exactly. I agree with that. And just to play a little bit of devil's advocate, I think part of emotional intelligence, too, is to, um, as they say in, in, in some of the, the corporate world, uh, not to get sucked in by the giant hairball that you're circling. <laughs> and so, <laughs> which is, again, as a parent and, and in other situations, it's very challenging. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, I, I co-founded an app so I was working intimately with two other people, you know, and that's, and it, it was a very popular app. So that was a very, that was a, a heavy pressure cooker situation. Being a parent, particularly now two kids, because that's a new thing for me, you know, doing that very intense situation, you know, because now you have two kids and you have six. So you understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, now you have two kids who are, are equally, not equally, but are both dealing with their own emotional intelligence and knowing that they have a visceral feeling that something needs to be done right now. And so that's something that you're dealing with in the business world. That's something, depending on your circumstances, you're dealing with in your personal world. And it's not just a matter of helping to elevate other people's emotional intelligence, but also knowing when to back away. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that I found is, similar to IQ, is that if you end up being in an environment where it's too intense, and it's easy to let your emotional intelligence drop. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's like the classic, uh, the classic, uh, the, the classic uh, uh, term. It's like, you know, a wise man told me never to argue with fools because people from a distance can't see who is who. <laughs> and it's true. very very similar to that. <laughs> That's Where a great you line. Get into an environment and you can lose your emotional intelligence really quickly. Um, and as I mentioned in the in the ink article. You know, the, um, the colleague of mine, uh, Shri, Shri Niverson, he actually lost his position at a very major place over in New York. And it was really easy for him to lose his emotional intelligence over that. You know, he, he's rightfully upset. But instead, 
he turned it around and used it to essentially court all these amazing job offers. And he actually he just he just got a new position over the past week. You know, and so since the article ran like two months ago, he already got a position that's arguably better than the position that he lost. Hmm. That's all from taking it as an emotional, intelligent man, as opposed to, to you know, licking his wounds and, and going off in the corner and, and, you know, insulting or lashing out at his former employer. Yeah. Man, I mean, that, that's so cool because there's not going to be ever an end to the difficulties of life. So your ability to start spinning it in a healthier way, even anticipating it, um, knowing when to back off, knowing when to step in, you can't you can't beat that skill set. Damon, as we wrap it up, what would you say – I always like to talk about the one thing, um, and we have about a minute. So what would you say in that minute, what's the one thing that makes the biggest difference – to starting to take back and gain emotional intelligence? I'd say taking a deep breath. So whatever's happening, take a deep breath and just sit with whatever's happening right now. Realize the story that you're constructing within your head. And again, back to the proverbial car accident, depending on the day it happens and your emotional state at that time, there could be 10 or 20 different stories you could tell yourself. So realize that whatever's happening in your life right now, it's based on the story that you're telling. And the, the, the quicker and the, the faster you understand that and accept that, then the, the easier it will be for you to gain control of your emotions and to understand that whatever you're seeing right now is just an incident. Mm. It's just an action. It's just something that happened. And whatever you get from it is based on the context that you're creating from the story that you tell. Yeah. Man, Damon Brown, great stuff. And keep up the great work. And good luck with your baby and your two babies, really. You're, you're, you've, got a lot to, you've got a lot to give the world, and I'm honored that you were on the show. Right, thank you, man. I appreciate it. You bet. DamonBrown.net uh, is the website. And you can go find out all about his books, his work. There's so many great uh, ways to communicate and connect with him and learn from him. Damon Brown. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll do a little coaches, coaches Corner and uh, see if we can't, you know, even add on to what uh, Damon's already taught us. We'll be back, folks. Stick with us, helping you live healthier, happier lives right here on the Matt Townsend Show. You boy, you too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, you're seeing it play out in the news with uh, Donald Trump. I think even Hillary Clinton. This whole idea of emotional intelligence, to be a leader, you have to be able to manage your emotion. You have to be able to recognize your own emotions uh, and manage them so that, that your emotional outbursts, your emotional, your fears, your concerns aren't leading you. You also have to have the ability to recognize the emotions of others and know how to lower those emotions, not make them worse. And finally, I've got to find a way to enroll people into my emotion. It's called emotional intelligence. And as we see people that aren't trusting two of our political leaders— um, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, it might simply be 
part of the reason we don't trust. We trust people that we believe have emotional intelligence, that they're not going to fly off the handle. I think of it as like a Coke bottle. If I shake a Coke bottle um, or, by, by the way, Diet Pepsi, whatever have you, uh, if I shake it and create a, I'll create a reaction. But if I hand you the bottle and you know I just shook it, you're not going to want to open it. You're not going to trust the explosion that's going to take place. So if you're out there and you feel like people don't listen to you, they don't necessarily trust you, they stay away from you at certain times, it might be that they're sensing that you aren't safe. You're not a safe person because you can't control how you respond in certain in certain cases. Perhaps Hillary Clinton um, went and hid emails because – She's it, she it created fear. It she's been in the spotlight forever. The media has been harsh on Hillary Clinton, and she found it easier to just you know try to control it all on her own. Nonetheless, people don't trust her because of that. Donald Trump ends up saying whatever he feels, and if you make a, make fun of him or jab him, he reacts and crushes you, thinking that that's a manly move. The problem is, deep down, we don't trust people that aren't predictable and safe. And it's not something that you can just intellectualize. There's a gut reaction that people have to to unsafe people. And it goes back to the days that we had to live, you know, as a tribe. And if somebody was a loose cannon in the tribe, by the way, more likely to create problems, more likely to end up dying and more likely to being kicked out of the tribe. So emotionally intelligent people, it's a huge advantage. It is something we should be teaching our kids. But don't just pass it down to the kids. First, look at yourself. Do people trust you and your ability to manage emotion? It might be a good thing, too, that you look at your political candidates. Do they possess emotional intelligence? And and is that one of the reasons why you trust them or you don't trust them? It's not going away, folks. It's part of who we are, and it's actually a huge driver of success. We'll take a break. That's hour number one of the show. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more information to help you uh, live longer and lead healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. The show is uh, here to help you live longer. And really, I'm your life coach. Let me walk you through it. Let me give you the latest, the greatest, the researchers that are behind the the best uh, information out there to make sure we navigate the crazy thing we call life. Speaking of, yes, last week I had a story about a group that was predicting the end of the world. Yes. How did that go? Well, they said it was going to end on the 29th. Well, it hasn't ended where I live. Right. So apparently they were a little off. Well, they probably miscalculated a little later, I will have the updated numbers updated. Okay. 
prediction that they have for the end of the world. Just so we're all right. on the same page. You will want to stay tuned for that. This you is can, a public service. You can adjust your calendars. That way you are prepared As for you said, the we, end of the world. We consult the experts. I'm glad you, you found the expert that will tell us when the world is, when we're done. And in this case, it's probably the only expert involved here would be Fox 2 in Detroit. Okay. Where the can, story came from. Can you do me one favor? Can yes. you let me know if I need to pay my house payment? Eh, not if it's going to end. Well, when will it end? Do I need to pay it? Because I usually pay it in the next week or two. Oh, yeah. You'll need to pay that. Ah. Sorry. Did they give any advice on how to make we'll tinfoil hats? No, or? no. There's none of that. Because no, that doesn't boy. help you. No. Well, it won't. And it's not like the end of the world. It's not like the the entire rock of the earth is going to explode or something. It's just going to be different than we are right now. Like, is Trump going to win the presidency? More life wiped from the face of the earth rather than (gasps) the end of existence, if that makes any sense. Should I be watering my lawn? Uh, You... If you're going to okay. believe these people, okay. you, you might for another month. Let's and not then maybe spoil stop. the secret. Yeah, we'll let it go. We'll, We're we'll not get back going to it. spoil the secret. We will come back. So you, you better stick with us because if you want to know when the face of the earth is going to be wiped clean, stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we have also got a great guest coming up that will be talking about the myth of the self-made man. We use this myth a lot in the in Western civilization. The the Donald Trump guy raised from the dust of a millionaire father um, to then create his own independent, you know, multi billion dollar organization. And then, if you remember, uh, President Obama had a speech where he was talking about uh, small businesses and businesses in general, and talking about you didn't build that. You didn't build that. And of course, he was talking about the highways. Mm-hmm. The different infrastructure that has right. been built up to support your business. Right. Nor did mm-hmm. President Obama build his presidency. No. No. Had nothing to do with Barack Obama. Other people helped him do that. Yeah. That's the myth we're blowing up. Yeah. It's interesting how sometimes we use the myth when the myth serves us. Well, and we don't use the myth the rest of our lives. See, he he was mis. That whole thing has been misconstrued because he was talking about taxes, about the you didn't build yeah. it thing. And it ran it, pay, it, yeah. it ran into that myth of the self-made man right, head, right. On, head on. Yeah. And so it turned into all a, the business a, people are like, really? This is coming from the guy that's never created a job in his own business. But if you'd watch the 10 seconds before that quote, and the 10 seconds after you'd hear taxes and, and roads and, you mm-hmm. know, the seaports that bring all the goods from overseas that you sell here Hillary and make money. Herself, by the way, <laughs> Hillary wrote a book. It takes a village to raise yeah. a child. And so you have sort of competing ideas and they're all running into the self-made yeah. man. We, we have to talk about it because in reality, you live in a system of other humans, right? So make sure you're seeing the other humans in the system. We'll talk about it with Tom English. He'll be uh, helping us walk through that. Uh, that it's sometimes difficult maze that we that we go through in life especially once you've made it it's easy to say yeah you know i you know i'm self-made millionaire self-made whatever we'll get to that also more headlines crazy stories because um cats cats holding their owners hostage everything you thought about cats true if you're a cat lover and you can't get enough of the cat videos and you have a cat, watch out. 
we will be telling you a story, not a story, a fact, uh, just full on news story about a cat that, uh, you know, trapped his family. We'll get to that. Lots more coming up uh, on this, the National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. Ah, another angel got a chocolate chip cookie. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie? A 36-year-old Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority officer was arrested at work Wednesday on suspicion of providing financial support to the Islamic State. It's the first time a U.S. cop has been charged with aiding ISIS. The FBI has been investigating Nicholas Young for more than a year. Authorities say Young met with an FBI operative posing as an ISIS fighter 20 times, providing information on how to go unnoticed by law enforcement. He also allegedly bought 22 mobile messaging gift app cards sent to ISIS. The Pentagon announced Wednesday that 33 service members, including one pregnant woman, uh, have contracted Zika virus. All of the infections happened outside of the continental United States, and six relatives of the service members have also contracted the virus, the Military Times reports. New York State Legislature is set up to take a bill that would make it a hate crime to physically assault a police officer. The bill, dubbed the Blue Lives Matter law, would add police officers as a protected class and classify crimes against them as hate crimes. And finally, a couple of kids who accidentally ruined a 5,000-year-old Norwegian stone carving in a naive attempt to make it better might face criminal prosecution. Ah, boy. Mm -hmm. The ignorant vandals were hoping to improve the ancient image of a man on skis by outlining the lines etched in stone, a piece of art they thought was faded and needed to be a little clearer. (laughs) It's a tragedy because it's one of the most famous Norwegian historical sites. Uh, The mayor of nearby Alstahog said the logo is key evidence that the Stone Age men used skis. The two boys who have not been publicly identified later issued issued an apology, which was included in a local press press release. Oh, my heavens. I just I just was trying to help by clarifying. uh, Very sad, man. They're just so young. They just wanted to help. And now they ruined a 5000 piece of. Art. They apologize, though, so it's okay. Oh, it's all good, then. It's all right. Well done, Sadie. Thanks for the headlines. Again, people. People, people, people. Naively trying to help and yet end up ruining something. Sad, but part of life. Huh, Ben? What, what's that supposed to mean? No, I was just saying. I was just trying to involve you. Oh, Okay. That I mean, was good. I like that. You like that? You sort of were just going along and all of a sudden I just want, I just want to see what Ben thought about yeah. that. This show will go in a direction then all of a sudden throws it into reverse, backs over Ben, and then keeps going. Just yeah. just to make sure that Ben's there. Well, you know what? Ben has learned not to step in front of the show. In what? the monster truck of the show. Yeah. <laughs> so I always try to like get Ben to come out so we can have some fun. But he's hiding. Yeah. Behind the back bumper. Of the Wait, so for the show. good of the show or for the good of your and Terry's enjoyment? I think that's... It seems like the same. One thing. and the same, yeah. Really? Yeah. Because yeah. both uh, both goals are accomplished. The show is better and we're entertained. I so. don't know. When, yeah. when Bass, the truck driver, called in, he did not seem impressed. I miss oh. Bass. Uh, Bass was impressed. Uh, Bass called us later yeah. and yeah. said, yeah, that Ben drives me crazy. No, Bass, no. <laughs> no. He's the best. The best bass. Hey, um, we we were just promised mm. by our very own 
Terry South that we would find out when the face of the earth was going to be wiped clean. Now, when I want to know about the coming apocalypse, yeah, I go to YouTube. You, I don't know about you. No, I actually just go to church. Do you? Yeah. I go to YouTube. Talk to my leaders. They seem to have a lot of quality Sometimes information Sometimes I get on my there. knees and I try to just see how I'm doing there. Mm-hmm. You don't consult YouTube? No. I, I, I don't. I mean, I get why you go. It's deep. So there's this group called End Times Prophecies. Mm-hmm. And they have this um, apocalypse-themed YouTube channel. I feel like they're <laughs> a hammer looking for a nail with that name. Yeah, a little bit. Um, they got it wrong. They said originally July 29th, so last week. Ugh. The day came and went with little to no event, other did, than maybe Trump said something. Do they have to move a decimal? Is that they have to like move the the decimal point? No, huh. they don't really explain what the they, error round, in judgment I bet was. It was. A rounding error it could have been a rounding error. That that happens quite a bit. Yeah. So the YouTube video they posted a while back uh, a while back has a new title, which has been edited to say the end of the world will be yeah October thirty first. Halloween. This, hold on. This year? This October year. 30. Oh, boy. So Halloween 20, night. 31st. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I might be out of town. <laughs> Does that matter? Does it matter where you are when the world ends? I don't know. It depends on the event they're talking about. I guess if you want to be home to watch your neighbors screaming. The YouTube video now has attracted more than 6.5 million views mm-hmm. since August 1st. The group proclaims that, a, that an apocalyptic event will occur at the same time as the magnetic polar flip that we talked about. <gasps> oh, I hated that. In a matter of minutes, which will cause a catastrophic global earthquake. The earth will crack and shatter and split open, it says in okay. the video. Oh, wow. And then it goes on to explain more about the... Uh, the apocalypse through a voice of a woman speaking like a robot along with some simple animations and some Bible quotes. <laughs> well, it sounds – are there any cats in the video? Um, no, not sure, but, you know, it's, the, it's YouTube, so. Yeah. I don't think I want to post this video. Now, we've talked about it. Polar flip is a reversal of the uh, the polar uh, north pole, uh, south yeah, pole. Uh, the, yeah, the, the polar – Over yeah. the last 20 million years, the earth has settled into a pattern of pole flipping about every 200,000 to 300,000 years. Although it has been more than twice that long since the last time the reversal has occurred. Earth's polarity is not consistent though. The earth has a magnetic field because its solid iron core is surrounded by a fluid ocean of hot liquid metal, which causes yeah. the magnetic field. I heard when it flips that <clears> – <throat> Your underwear is mm. on the outside of your clothes Could and be. your shorts are on your head and your shirt is on your legs. NASA says when referring to the end times theory that a pole reversal might be good business for magnetic compass manufacturers. Oh, yeah. So it's NASA. Going- uh, the, the real thing is this happens at a very, very slow rate. Uh, right? They you're measure not a this. scientist. No. The last article we read, it said in the last 600 years, the pole has moved like 40 meters. Yep. Do you know what 40 meters is like? So they're saying that this whole flip's going to happen dramatically in a matter of minutes and just yeah. boom, it's done and whatever. But I'm just putting that out there. Halloween night, if it happens, they told you so. Let me just ask you this. Should I buy candy for Halloween? Well, what are you more concerned of? Kids not having candy yeah. and maybe doing something to your house. What, do you have confidence that would happen, or do you have confidence that it will truly be the end of the world? Well, they wouldn't make two mistakes in a row. There's been groups that have made many mistakes in a row when it comes to these sort of predictions. 
I think you so want to err on the side of having candy so that the kids don't egg your house. That's not. A bad I know idea. your neighborhood. That would totally happen. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Ah, uh, here's one more crazy story we got to get to. Um, a Milwaukee couple called police to tell them that they are being held hostage by their cat. Hmm. Oh, what's that? Scary. It happened last Friday after the cat had a bit of a meltdown. This is what they said. This is going to sound like a strange question. (laughs) But we have a cat and it's going crazy. And it attacked my husband. Wow. And we're kind of hostages in our house. And we're just wondering who we should call to do something. Get rid of our cat. Wow. Help us. The, the music really sells the, the yeah. peril and the fear. Whoa. They're cornered in the house. That is a crazy cat. What do you do? Who do you call? The, the pound? Your neighbor's dog? No, this is so easy Grab to get out shoe. of. Grab a shoe? Anyway, they did. The animal control came and captured the animal. Wow. Do you know how they did it? How'd they do that? Laser pointer. Is that what it was? Yep. Just kind of yep. distracted him out of the Just house? Just distracted him right into a net. Oh, got him. I was going to say that or a can of tuna. They got him. Can of, I mean, how hard is it? It's a cat. Just out think the cat. They probably didn't have a laser pointer handy. Yeah. They didn't have one of those little yarn ball things. Can, was it the Egyptians? They used to believe that the cats would steal your soul. Really? Yeah, they did different. They really had some uh, respect for the the feline. I think I learned that from the mummy. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so uh, it's all from, true, right? It's on that movie. Your mom always taught you great stuff. <laughs> your mummy. That's great. What a great mom! Wow. Okay. So uh, mm. you can call nine one one if your cat gets out of control, or it's just good to keep know. a laser pointer handy. Laser pointer probably works. I wonder what that would do. The cat probably was having a problem. Yeah. A bad day. You know, maybe they broke up. Maybe the cat had just broken up. You know, <laughs> maybe the cat. He was having some personal issues that day and decided to take it out on his family. That's right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we all do that from time to time. Sometimes cats are lactose intolerant. Maybe it got some bad milk. Bad milk. I mean, you don't want you don't. Or, or you don't they know. bought they bought the two percent and they wanted one. That's right. Yeah, because I know that really ticks. You some can't people get off. me cream, <laughs> man. What a rip off. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we will be speaking about the self-made man, the myth of this, uh, this concept that, you know, you, you did it all yourself. You are where you are because of all the things you were able to do. We tell it to people all the time. And uh, is it true? Well, we have somebody that's going to take it, take it on, tackling the myth of the self-made man right here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, becoming successful, it's a goal for many of us. And, uh, in fact, if you think about it in America, that's like, you gotta be, you gotta be a self-made man or a self-made woman. That thought has been taught to many a person and, um, and a child even. 
So how, how do you truly become successful? Is it just through your hard work? Is it through your innovation, your ideas? Is it really just about you latching on to what you need to do and then all of a sudden you make it happen and the next thing you know, you are a self-made person? Well, according to our next guest, Tom English, um, he, he wrote an article, Tackling the Myth of the Self-Made Man, and is here today to help us understand that maybe this whole concept of being a self-made man, it's its maybe just more of a myth. Tom English, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for being with us today. What, what do you think? First of all, how did you get into this idea of even wanting to cover the concept of the self-made man? That's a good question, actually. It's, it's something that's been on my mind for quite a while. Um, since I was at university, actually, I did my undergraduate degree in history and social policy. And the social policy side of things covered quite a lot of areas such as citizenship and welfare. welfare. And I remember one of my lecturers once saying, you know, I can't be doing with these people who say they're self-made, you know, that, that they've done it all on their own and that they've made some money all on their own and not give credit to anyone else because... Of course, everybody has to rely on, on somebody else. And I got thinking about that. I thought, actually, that's a really good point. Um, who, who actually is ever truly a self-made man? And that certainly isn't to denigrate or dismiss individual efforts or contributions yeah. to becoming successful. Um, but it's something that stuck with me as that. And it, it's, kind of, it's kind of played on my mind. I've, I've always wanted to, to write a piece on it. Um, I did actually put something on Stephen R. Covey's Facebook page. Oh, did you? Um, yeah, when, when he was when he was alive a few years ago, before his his past, actually put something on one of the comments about how I didn't believe there was anything as such as a self-made man, and that it didn't actually exist hmm. in its purest form. And he actually he reposted that as a discussion point, and it got some quite interesting discussion <laughs> going because I think, in a sense, it is a paradox, isn't it? It's, yeah. On the one hand, I'm saying I don't I don't actually think that. The self-made man in, it, in its purest form exists, but on the other hand, you have to do something, right? You know, you, you don't just rely on other people to do it. You have to have some get up and go, and that's why in the article itself, I actually use the example of, of Rocky, the Rocky movies, because I absolutely love those films. Mm. They're, they're hugely inspiring. They're very well put together. They're great stories. They're very clear, very understandable to a large audience. And yet, you know, they, they seem to imbue the sense of individual achievement. But yet, when you actually watch them, you couldn't go away from any one of those films and believe that Rocky's actually done it all on his own. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't dismiss the role of Adrian or right. uh, of Mickey or any of the other characters in, in, the, in the film. So I thought it was quite an interesting paradox to address because I think sometimes when we do get successful, we can get wrapped up in ourselves and think, well, look at me, I'm, I'm the man, I've made it. Yeah. And we, I mean, it's, it's almost like, like you said, paradoxical, because they are showing their success. And in the movies, for example, they show all of the people around that were part of the game. But it's almost like we like to elevate people and make it about one person instead of making it about the unit that got them there. Yes, I would agree with that. And just on this topic, I was reading an article by a business academic called Henry Mintzberg. And this article was actually, I think it was about 10 years old. He wrote it in the Financial Times. And um, he's basically arguing in the article that what we need is we need more community ship and less leadership. 
because the issue with leadership, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by leadership. I find it extremely interesting how leaders can influence the success or failure of an organization. But actually what leadership can do and what focusing on leadership too much can do can actually reduce the success or failure of an organization to one person. So say one organization is really, really successful. Um, I think one of the quotes in his article is, you know, show the media a successful organization and they'll show you a successful leader as if it's all hinging on that one person. Right. And anybody who's worked in any organization, be it, you know, a success or otherwise, will tell you that there are certainly an awful lot more components to it than just one man or woman at the top. So true. Uh, that's an interesting concept, uh, community ship. Because in, in yeah. the end, what some of the best leaders I've ever had were the ones that could get a sense of community going and a sense of almost self-direction in the community. So, it, I mean, it, it's – but we, again, like you're saying, we focus on the one instead of the whole. Um, in, in your um, article, in your work, you talk about the idea of leadership Alzheimer's. What? What do yeah. you mean by that? Explain that. That was interesting. Well, I'm actually I'm actually quoting from the Pope there. That's not my that's certainly not my concept, but I thought it was an excellent concept to really address this idea of of people forgetting where they've come from. Um, you know, once people get to a certain level of of success or elevation, you know, it's the idea that people forget where they've they've come from, and more particularly that they've forgotten who has helped them to get there in the first place. And I think an excellent example of, of a global CEO who hasn't done that, he hasn't fallen foul of the leadership Alzheimer's, is actually SAP CEO Bill McDermott. And his, his biography, Winner's Dream, is actually a great example of, of a leader who's, you know, he, he started out as a sales exec for, I think it was Xerox or somebody like that. And he's, you know, risen through the ranks to become the chief executive of the largest, I think they're the largest software company in the world. And he talks in that book about looking after your ecosystem. And what he means by that is particularly in business, and sales can be related to business as a whole, um, what, what he means by ecosystem is thinking about what needs to happen to make things work, um, where, where the dependencies are. In his case, when he was selling photocopiers, he talked about how he needed to form relationships with, with doormen in hotels to get into hotel lobbies hmm. and to set up his ex- exhibitions there. Um, for me, I work in sales in my day job. I think about my own ecosystem. I think about the end users. So for me, I actually sell to primarily university libraries. But I think a lot about our end users, the students. And they're a very big part of, of the ecosystem within which I work. So I think that the, the leadership Alzheimer's, it's very much about forgetting Forgetting that, you know, forgetting those who've been involved in, in helping you to be successful, those with whom you've had to collaborate and add value to, to get to a position of, of elevated status. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting thing because you, when you get into the sales world, you, you always hear, you know, the bosses, the managers saying, you know, it's about your network, get, get as many people, make those calls, build those relationships. And yet, when you start killing it and making it big, it, you don't necessarily think about the people. Is that just our pride that kicks in, or or what is it? Is it is it us just trying to manifest the myth of the self-made man? 
I think I think it's natural. I think I think I think hubris. I think pride and hubris are, are very very natural when when we are successful because we do we do have it in us to kind of look around and think you know what I've absolutely nailed that you know that sale was awesome yeah or that performance the performance that financial year was was absolutely fantastic we can kind of look at it and think you know I've I've nailed that I'm the man kind of thing but then and, and I think that's natural within everybody but I think what what separates us from from other animals is is the fact that we're able to check ourselves and we're actually able to think to ourselves you know what yes I've had success but look at all these people who've been involved in that success um, I've got a colleague at work who, who works in sales support and she's absolutely brilliant and I'll tell anybody anyone who talks to me about about my success in sales I'll, I'll mention her hmm. I'll say she's the superstar you know she's the one who who does so much that allows us to get things done and make things happen and I think if you can if you can put a name on it if somebody else who's helped you to be successful in any way then it helps to keep that hubris in check because it's just a way of giving yourself a bit of a reality check and thinking, well, actually, yes, there has been a success, but it certainly didn't come all from my own doing. There were other people on the path and along the way who helped out. Oh, that's so, it's so true. And yeah, just, just always having to accept, uh, because people will give you praise and, and um, you'll get all this attention because you made the big sell or whatever. But to be able to list everybody's name that was part of it every single time, you also mm-hmm. probably ensure your success tomorrow as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty short-term game to play to go around bragging about your your successes and not giving credit where credit's due. Because yeah. it, it's it's the quickest way to undermine trust as well. It's the quickest way to to get people defensive and then start to try and claim their turf in the the success as well and. It's, it's kind of a destructive um, way of going about things, I think. Is um, d- as we as we kind of talk about this because th- this this I don't know if you ever heard about it in the United States. There was a lot of issue about uh, President Obama making a comment about business people that business people didn't make their money. They, they didn't make mm-hmm. their businesses on their own. Um, and it it turned into like a big push because a business owner's like, are you kidding me? But then Donald, I mean, but he was talking about, but President Obama was talking about roads and about uh, taxes yeah. that have paid for roads and have created an infrastructure that made it so if you're blessed enough to live in the United States, you already have a hand, you know, a, a leg up in in the rest of the world. Is I mean, to what degree do we? continue to give credit where does this credit ever end for how we became successful because it goes everywhere and for years and generations really sure sure it it absolutely does and i think i think being mindful of of these factors like roads and the internet and things like that that are actually critical to the success and the operation of many businesses i think that's really really important um there's a phrase that my mum used to use when I was growing up, and it referred to, uh, you know, assistance that you've got from others who've gone before. And the phrase that she used was drinking from wells that others have dug. And I really like that phrase because yeah. it, it, it kind of talks about infrastructure. It kind of talks about the building blocks that need to be in place for you to, to get some goodness or some value. So water, of course, is essential to life. And this idea of you know, somebody else going before you and being a trailblazer in doing something that allows you to 
then subsequently go on to achieve something yourself. I think that's a great idea and it's a great way of looking at things because we all we all benefit from infrastructure. That's that's just an absolute fact. You know, irrespective of anyone's political views, you know, whatever they think about President Obama or his comments or the context they're made in, nobody can actually deny that, you know, like a like a shipping like a trucking company, for example, they need roads to go on. If there are no roads then they're gonna have a a much harder time um, getting goods from from A to B, and um, and the, the same with any any business that relies on the internet as well. There's so many businesses now that have started because of the internet um, that you know it's it's absolutely impossible to uh, to not recognise the the value and the necessity of, of sound infrastructure. Hmm. Let's take a break again. We are speaking with Tom English who wrote an article tackling the myth of the self-made man. He's walking us through uh, just some of his learnings of life and and the importance of understanding th- that uh, we're all drinking from wells that others have dug, the wisdom of Tom's mom. That's pretty cool. Again, still impacting the rest of the world and Tom as well. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion, uh, hopefully find some more solutions for how we can make sure – We are recognizing all those in our lives that have made a difference in who we are. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we're learning a lot, the importance of uh, focusing on community-ship, not just leadership, and uh, the ability to not forget uh, how you got where you are. And there's something powerful, I think, about being able to stay connected to your ancestors, to your history, to everything that makes you be able to live the life you're living today. And I think the minute we disconnect from that, we're in trouble. Tom English is joining us. Tom is an award-winning, innovative field sales executive. He works with Gale Business Unit in England. He's also involved in, in is an, an involved community member. He's a non-executive director of Unity Homes and Enterprise in Leeds, England, and wrote a wonderful article tackling the myth of the self-made man. Tom English, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Great to have you. Talk about the uh, the way that so just some ways that you've seen to stay connected, to stay connected to the idea of being a community made man, you know, raised by the village man, instead of taking it all on and, and thinking you're the cat's meow. <laughs> Good question. Well, some years ago, now I'll say some years ago because it's actually seven years ago, um, believe it or not, but it's seven years since I became a non-executive director at Unity Housing Association. And that was a purely serendipitous opportunity. I'd, um, I was basically coming to the end of my undergraduate degree and I needed to decide what I was going to do for a career. And at that particular time, I decided that I'd like to work in, in social housing. And so I, did, I actually did a master's straight after my undergraduate degree in social housing. And that led me to an opportunity 
to become a non-executive director, a board member at Unity Housing. At the time, I thought, you know, are you crazy? Why are you asking me to be a board member? You know, what, what do I know about life? I was, I was a 20-something-year-old guy. Everybody else on the board was about 20 years my senior or, or there or thereabouts. And, um, and I, really, I, really wasn't, I really wasn't sure about it. And I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a go. And for about the first year or so that I was there, I, I didn't say a whole lot. I just sat there and listened and observed and really wanted to understand more about the organization. Hmm. And it's fair to say that over the past seven years that I've been there, I've, I've really grown to, to love the organization because of what it does. It was actually first established in the 80s as a response to um, institutional racism within social housing. It's actually what's called the Black and Minority Ethnic hmm. Housing Association. So it's got a particular focus on black and minority ethnic groups within the community who were disproportionately disadvantaged through um, discriminatory practices that were within um, the social housing sector. So that was kind of where its, its roots lay. And it's, it's remained a very, I would say, a very strongly community-focused organisation. Um, we're very proud of our independence. We're very proud of the fact that we haven't been swallowed up into some large national organisation, that we are um, a community-based organisation that very much caters to the needs of our community. So what we actually do then, so the name Unity Homes and Enterprise, the homes bit is fairly, is fairly straightforward. We provide bricks and mortar homes of good quality, at affordable rents, to those who need those particular homes at the time. Yeah. And we also, on the enterprise side of things, we also support local businesses as well. So we have various business centers that we, we support in the community. We also have um, a dedicated employment team as well, which, which really helps our tenants to get the CVs sorted out. Their, um, what do you call them in America? Resumes, that's it. Yeah. Um, so, we have a team to help with that. We have um, staff who help with financial advice, with budgeting advice, with helping tenants and members of the community to be self-sufficient as well so that they can manage their income, they can increase their skills and get jobs. And, you know, th there's no question about it. There is, there is a business case in that somewhere. You know, it's, it's enlightened self-interest because, of course, our, our lifeblood is, is rental income, it's revenue to the organisation. So we need people to be paying the rent. If they've got jobs, they've got a better chance of paying the rent. Right. If they're financially savvy, they've got a better chance of paying the rent. So, of course, there's inherent within that there is an element of self-interest, but it also does a lot of good. You know, and I'm, I'm very, like I say, I'm very proud to have been associated with Unity. And it's actually coming to the end of my time now. I'm about to, to retire. Mm. I retire in... September, it's going to be my final AGM there. And I was actually reflecting on that with, with the chair of the board. And she was saying to me, you know, so, so what have you made of it over the past seven years? And it was quite a, an interesting thing for me to say, but the words that came out of my mouth unrehearsed were, this place is sacred. Hmm. And I really, I really meant that. that. That really came straight from the heart, from the soul. And what I meant by that and why I believe that unity in organizations like it are sacred is because it's focused on serving other people. It's a non-profit organization 
it's not interested in making money. It's not interested in in profit or anything like that. It's it's motivations motivations of my fellow board members are to help people, to help the organisation to be better, to grow, so that we can help more people. And you don't see, or I don't see a lot of that in the world at the moment. If I'm if I'm perfectly frank, you know, this is just yeah. my anecdotal evidence. I see a lot of people trying to monetize things all the time. You know, they're trying to look for an angle. How can we make money out of this? Mm-hmm. You know, how can we charge for this? Whereas at Unity, I, you know, I sit at a board table with about, gosh, I think there's about 11 or 12 others, um, maybe a few less than that. And I see passionate people. I see people having, you know, real serious discussions about strategy and how to help things in the community more, how we can be better, how we can improve. And, you know, it's all for the purpose of, of making the world a better place, but making the world a better place, not, not overextending ourselves and trying to fix every problem that exists, yeah. but yeah. working within a very clearly defined sphere of influence. Tom, do you sense um, that, because as you were telling that story, you have this long history. You have, you're, you're one that institutionally in the organization has a lot of these connections over the years. You saw the beginning, the middle, and to the present. Um, I wonder sometimes if we we forget, uh, like we might forget kind of what created your organization simply because when Tom English is done and retires from it and moves on, others may not, they may not have seen that history. They may not have remembered those names or those experiences. And I wonder if sometimes we we create the self-made myth simply because we are all we're always with ourselves but we don't always see the history like you did yeah and and that is that is a good point i think i think context is really really important and it's a, it's a conversation i was having with with our chair along the lines of you know how do we how do we keep this place special how do we keep the integrity of the organization once myself and others move on from it and it's really, you know, recruiting the right people is really, really important. Recruiting the people who, who have that sense of social purpose and who are really connected with that, who really engage with that. Yeah. Because history, history is important. You know, we can't live our lives looking in the rearview mirror, but we have to understand the nature of things. We have to understand the context of things. And that can be extremely useful in determining where we want to go as well and, and our future roadmap. So I think, it's, I think it's about perspective. I think it's always about making sure we have a sense of perspective and about being self-aware. And self-aware, I mean, if I talk about sales, self-awareness is one of those intangibles that is absolutely crucial. It's, it's actually really difficult to measure self-awareness. I don't know of any definitive metrics on how to de- define or measure self-awareness right but yet it's absolutely crucial to building relationships um to things like sales to things like leadership to things like building trust and i think the more that we strive for that the more able we are then to deliver value and create value for not just for ourselves but for others as well no i think i think you're right on and the more the more we talk about it like like you're talking like we're talking about it and allowing people to kind of become introspective into their own thinking, I, I think that helps as well. So, Tom English, you've, you've already you're already helping just by sharing your article and uh, your time with us. Thanks again so much for being with us. 
My pleasure, Matt. We've learned a lot. Keep up the great work. Man, I'm telling you, that's power, isn't it? Uh, there's power in community and community ship. Talking about it, being aware of how you integrate with the community. So if you had to sit down and, and wonder what what's the key to your success, is it still just you? Oh, I just got, I've got a work ethic you won't believe. Or who are the people associated? Do they need to hear, a, do they need to have a letter, maybe a call? Maybe start writing down the people that are the key to your success. And maybe it's time to go thank a few of them. Who knows, huh? There's power, folks. We sink and we swim together. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world, remembering that you're part of the good. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, uh, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about community, the importance of community, and, you know, maybe the idea that you need to think more about others than you do yourself, right? Well, if only this one guy in Florida had been thinking more about others, he probably wouldn't be in jail right now. It's time to talk about the bad boys. A 59-year-old Florida man was arrested after police said he punched a swan over the weekend. Really? That's the sound, punching a swan. Yes, it actually is. I did some very in-depth research, and that's what came out. There sure were a lot of pans and pots in that punch. Well, you don't know what he hit the swan with. His fist. Really? Yeah. Are you sure? It's right there. In, it's just right there in the article. It's oh. Just a fist. Yeah. Well, <sighs> carry on. According to Orlando police, two off-duty officers were walking through the park and stopped to watch a swan and her babies around 7 p.m. on Sunday. The man, uh, later identified as Sor Angel Velez, walked between the off-duty officers and the swan. You know, so... Probably closer to the swan than the cops were, apparently. And uh, apparently the swan reached out toward Velez as uh, as if it were defending its babies. The officers said they saw Velez walk about 10 feet farther, then turn around and walk back toward the swan before punching the bird. Just punching the bird. Police said the man began to run, but he was caught by the two off-duty officers who then called police to report the incident. Busted. He's going to jail. What did the swan ever do to you? Swans can give you this look that's really, really maddening. Really? Mm -hmm. A swan. A beautiful, pristine, white bird. I've had some experiences with swans. (laughs) You ever been chased by a swan? Uh, By a Canadian goose, which they're pretty much the same thing. Except they're different. Well, a swan's just a glorified goose. <laughs> the swan is the diva goose. Yeah. It's a goose with the diva complex. It thinks it's all good. It thinks it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have no tolerance for that. Yeah. you. So then these the, the swan gave you the, the stink eye. Mm-hmm. And then you did what? 
I just gave it right back. Okay. Yeah. Is that when it bit you and you went to the hospital and had stitches? No, but it did chase me for about five minutes. Really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> it was it was scary. Do you have video of this? Um, somebody does. Could you track that down for us? Um, track that down. I have a feeling the listeners would love to see that. Track it down. I'm not sure I want the listeners to see that. Well, we won't put your name on it. We'll just <laughs> say some anonymous board op. That works for? Raven.com. Ravenicecream.com. Okay. Yeah, I'll do it. Yes. <laughs> Folks, don't punch swans. Don't, fu- don't punch any fowl. No beast. Just you don't need to punch anything. All he had to do was say, whoa, that was scary. That little swan scared me to death. And then go home and tell your grandkids about it. Come on. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the show. Next hour, we'll be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show. Plus, Kimberly Giles will be joining us. One of our favorite coaches. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to hour number three of the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your good buddy. Your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the latest, the greatest information, not just the news. Anybody could do the news. But we go get uh, the experts to talk about the information you need for your life, for your family. Today we will be speaking with relationship uh, coach Kim Giles. She, uh, she, she's got it all going on. And today she's going to be talking to us about uh, racial bias, uh, unconscious racial bias. I mean, really, we've all got to have some bias. You you weren't raised anything but you. So she's going to walk us through that and help us understand what uh, is the, an unconscious racial bias and, and, and help us understand what we can do about it to maybe expand our thinking a little bit more. Happy, by the way, National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. Love chocolate chip cookies. In fact, I learned a really neat thing. Uh, my grandbaby. Oh, okay. She loves chocolate chip cookies. Now, my daughter was kind of upset about that. Apparently, you're not supposed to give a nine-month-old baby chocolate chip cookies. Hmm. Did not know that. You're not supposed to give them a lot of things, I found. Yeah. But I found out the same way you did. Uh-huh. Kind of after the fact. You're not supposed to do that. Oh, Oh, okay. I gave my nephew uh, chocolate ice cream when he was about nine months old. How'd that go? He loved it. One yeah. more. See, it's a good thing. Yeah. I, the, the baby was a little upset. I kind of have come to the opinion that I guess you treat kids kind of like a dog. Dogs, you're not supposed to feed them chocolate. Well. They like it to get their belly rubbed. You know, that kind of thing. Maybe, but I don't think you say it quite like that. I probably oh, you don't? 
There's a lot of things I do to my dog that I wouldn't do to my grandbaby. They seem about the same mentality at times, though. Yeah. So I... Well, yeah. Is that not something you're supposed to discuss? Does it seem sort of It just seems a little problematic? Taboo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's... All right. Yeah. Then why is it that when you go, like, look at dog chew toys, you could look at that and go, I think my kid would have fun playing with that. <laughs> My kid would love that. Because <laughs> there is a time where they need chew toys too, right? Because these animals are teething? getting – they have better lives than half of the kids in the world, three-quarters yeah. of the kids in the world. It's crazy. I heard someone talk about uh, – what was it? Your pet's elective surgery choices. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> People are doing an elective surgery on their pets. Yeah. Really? We did an elective surgery on my dog, and he was ticked. <laughs> that boy was so mad. But boy, a lot calmer after that. Just just chilled him right out. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Tons of stuff. Um, yeah. But I gave my daughter the the cookie because she – my granddaughter because she was unhappy. And when right. I gave her the cookie, she became very happy. Yeah. What's wrong with that? I know. She you... struggled getting the chocolate chip down. But yeah. give it time. It'll melt. And there's the baby Heimlich. She's fine. Yeah. Pat her on the back. It, it goes down. Yeah. But then I'm like, obviously, if she doesn't want cookies, she'll stop eating them. But she didn't stop. <laughs> so obviously she wanted more. Yeah. It's not a big deal. But now you know. Now I know. You have knowledge. You've been taught something. Yeah. You can now move forward right. with confidence. And my daughter knows that if you want to go on an extended vacation. Don't leave baby with grandpa. Unless you want her eating chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> it's happy chocolate chip cookie day. Um, by the way, the, the first uh, – in 1933 is when Ruth Graves Wakefield of the Toll House Inn in Whitman, Massachusetts, added chunk uh, – or cut up chunks of semi-sweet Nestle chocolate and put it in the cookie. That lady, a saint. It's funny trying to give Germans chocolate chip cookies because, like, they – their cookie is something completely different. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. What it's it, more of a loaf of bread. It, yeah. Just for fun, what do we call a cookie? A, a cookie. A farfignugan. In Germany. It's a farfignugan. Yeah. No, it's a no. keksa. Pardon? Keksa. No, it's a cookie, not a cake. What would you call a chocolate cookie? A, a, Chocolata keksa. Ooh, that's got a ring to it. Mm. Chocolata keksa. Farfignugan. Yeah, when you give them a cookie, like an American cookie, either their eyes widen in diabetic shock because mm-hmm. it's so sweet, or they're just so surprised they've never had one before because they're so good. Mm. Mm. So what you're saying is their food is bland, devoid of any taste. Sugar, which Boring. sometimes means the same thing. Yeah, yeah. taste. If they had a deep fried Twinkie, they'd probably die. <laughs> They haven't tasted they haven't tasted <laughs> Nirvana till they've had a deep fried. Their blood turns to just straight molasses <laughs> and they die. Yeah, you're right. We are so going to lose the war if we ever fought Germany. No, we could win just by giving we'd out sugar them. Why do you think we'd be fighting Germany? I don't know. I'm just saying if it ever happened. The end of the world's apparently coming. October 31st. We'll be fighting everybody. So we got uh, we got so much to talk about. We'll be talking with Kim Giles, un, uh, unconscious racial bias. We'll get to um, our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. We've got a killer hero story where an entire community, basically, of people tried to save uh, somebody who wanted to end their lives, and it worked. But first, let's get to the headlines around the country with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie. 
first day of Olympic play in Rio, the U.S. women's soccer team defeated New Zealand 2-0. Team USA is looking for its fourth consecutive Olympic gold medal, and if they are successful, they will become <clears throat> the first team, male or female, to win the World Cup and Olympic gold back-to-back. Next, they play France, ranked third in the world. Police in Phoenix say a serial killer terrorizing the city since March struck a ninth time but failed to kill his victim. The latest attack in a string of shootings occurred July 11th when a vehicle with a 21-year-old man and a 4-year-old boy was fired on in central Phoenix, police say Wednesday. Police have now linked that attack to a serial shooter who has killed seven people since March 17th, the first serial killer in Phoenix in a decade. President Obama's approval rating has hit a three-and-a-half-year high following last week's Democratic National Convention, according to a CNN-ORC poll released Thursday. Since February, Obama's approval has landed near the 50% mark, but that number increased to 54% after his well-received remarks at the DNC last Thursday in Philadelphia. That is the highest he's polled in the same survey since early 2013. And finally... A Florida woman whose newly adopted kitten vanished into the dashboard of her car ended up allowing mechanics to destroy the vehicle with a chainsaw. What? Mm -hmm. Denise Wilford Neal of Vero Beach said she was driving the kitten home after adopting it Monday when it crawled up into the dash console of her 1995 Monte Carlo and refused to come back out. After 20 hours of trying to coax the kitten out of the car. Yeah, kitty. 20 hours, that was. 20 20 hours. Yes. Denise turned to mechanics for help. They said the only way to get it out was to use a chainsaw. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh Uh-huh. And so she sacrificed her car to save the kitten, and she named the kitten Monty after her destroyed car. Wow. So they destroyed the car, and by destroying the car, the kitten worked its... It it came out on its own? They just grabbed it. They just cut it open, grabbed the kitten. Kitten was safe. Named Monty after the poor car. That's a... I bet it was Monte Carlo. They should have named it Carlos. Carlos? It's a cute little kitty. So, do you give up the car for the cat? Or no do you just way. sort of say, oh, the cat wants to stay? Like so. you can't throw food in there. And it's in the dash. It's not like it's in the engine. Right. Yeah. It'll come out sometime. It'll figure it out. It got in there. Yeah. The only problem is that when it starts growing, it might hurt your dash. Hmm. Well, let's not have it grow then. Yeah. Feed it. You're less. not allowed to grow. That sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. But see, that's the love of people. People love animals so much they'll give up their car. By the way, if it's a Monte Carlo, I'm mm. going to bet it was a it kind was, of older. Yeah, maybe beat up a little bit. Some cars are worth risk, you know, destroying. Yeah, right. Yeah. If it was a Tesla, no, that cat's dead. <laughs> that cat's never coming out of there. Not for the prices those run for. No way. Hey, a battery on wheels, by the way. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to buy a Tesla. Why? What do you mean, why? Just why? That sounds like a weird question. Yeah. Have you looked into charging stations and if you have any near where you drive? No. You kind of need to know. I was going to task that out. Mm. I'll have one of the producers do that. Who do I trust enough for my driving? I don't know. It is basically Guys, I'm a, sitting right here. It is basically a go kart built around a battery. Yeah, I heard someone describe it that way this week. But it's got that turbo neck breaker button. Yeah, and then you could just once it's on like turbo. Mm-hmm. They say that reverses your aging if you go fast enough. Oh, good. It smooth out the wrinkles with yeah. all the g forces totally. that are thrown at you. Looks like you're always like in a wind tunnel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. Hey, um, I saw a crazy study that children spend only half the time playing outside as their parents did, Mm -hmm. which is sad. 
More than four-fifths, 83 percent of parents questioned thought it was important that their children learned to use technology. Mm -hmm. Nine out of ten would prefer them to spend their childhood outdoors, though. Well, there's more options to keep you indoors, obviously. With yeah. video games, computers, all those types of things. And well, and just the the dangers of being outside. And then there's that where parents are terrified to let their kid walk down the street. We were sitting at a park the other day and we heard the ice cream truck sound. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, no way. The ice cream trucks are out again. I look over. It's it's a guy in a, in a Monte Carlo, like 1970 Monte Carlo, uh-huh. selling ice cream from Raven Ice Cream. Really? Yeah. That is false. Um, Disclaimer. And he was yelling, kids, kids, ice cream. My ice cream is only sold in the best of places. Yeah, in my park. Yeah. It was actually the dog park. Yeah. And we don't even have a dog. That's how good of service. The research found on average children were playing outside for just over four hours a week. Mm Mm-hmm. Compared to 8.2 hours a week when adults questioned uh, when adults were questioned, the, so isn't that weird? Four hours a week. Yeah. I used to spend in the summer ten hours a day mm-hmm. outside. You know that's by the way why my generation has more skin cancer than everybody else. Probably. <laughs> so neener neener. Yeah, that's a uh, it's a, a big thing in my neighborhood. Most of the kids. There's a group that'll play outside for a while, but like during the day when it's really hot, they're inside, and then they're out till nine o'clock running around. Yeah, those were night games. Yeah, they just uh, you're out when it's cooler, and they're out there constantly. Oh, I love it when my kids played night games. We had more last minute runs to the emergency room mm-hmm. because of my kids playing night games, running into fences, not seeing you know holes in the ground. Good times. <sighs> These kids. Any other news from you, Terry? Found an interesting Pew Research study. Just because you've been perusing No, I just – it it popped up in a a feed off Politico. Mm -hmm. Um, Trump and Clinton supporters not on good terms with each other. What? Yeah. Trump and and – So Trump and Clinton supporters not on good terms. That's weird. They apparently have some difficulty getting along. That just seems so weird. Says only one in four voters supporting Donald Trump say they have a lot or even some close friends backing Hillary Clinton. It's like they don't intermingle. According to the Pew Research Center survey out Wednesday looking at how voters are talking or even arguing about the presidential election. It says while 25% of registered voters favoring Trump responded that they have more than a few friends backing Clinton, only 18% who say they will likely vote for the Democratic nominees say they have at least some close acquaintances voting for Trump. Huh. So 25% of Republicans say that they have some friends voting for Clinton. Only 18% of Republicans say they have friends that will vote for Trump. Interesting. We need need to have a get-together. Bring them all together. Let them intermingle. It says overall 37% of all voters say they have had an argument about the election. While 62% said that they've had, they haven't had an argument about the election. Okay, wow. Just 8% of those who said they've had quarreled would categorize the dispute as major. So still, about a third of the population have fought about this election. Yeah. Which is amazing because only 9% actually voted That's right. for these two people. <laughs> well, as it says, 8% said they had, they had a fight about a major quarrel. As, yeah. You know, 
that was probably at a family reunion. Right, exactly. Because that's where those happen. Then there's that weird guy, your weird uncle. You have that strange uncle that shows up and you just end up fighting. And he's always loved Hillary. Among Clinton supporters, nearly half of those surveyed, 47%, say they have no friends who are voting for Trump. And about one in three or 31% of those leaning towards Trump say the same about Clinton supporters in their social circles. They have no friends. No friends. 30% of Republicans... Or 30% of Democrats have no – no, let me read this again. 30% of Trump supporters yeah. have no Clinton supporters and they're close friends. And then it says that 47% of Clinton supporters have no friends that are voting for Trump. So does it have any research on – so like for me, I don't think I have any friends voting for either. Well, well yeah, mm. I, I don't think – felons are allowed to vote yeah there's a rule well there's that social circle but then well, and then there's the size of, of but, your social circle that has to be brought into yeah you, you actually the equation you have to have a circle so a circle would probably require five maybe six yeah. friends give or take in four? the circle right so well you, give or take any is really yeah. what he's trying to say so you'd actually have to have friends enough friends to circle oh, it's got you. awkward I was hoping we could just. Yeah. I just kept thinking we him. could just run the clock out with him. Yeah. But he keeps talking. And then he brings up the light. It's okay. Yeah. Matt will be your friend. I've really? Al- I've always been his friend. Really? Well, actually, I, legally, I was his guardian. <laughs> uh, you were responsible for his actions. No, I never was responsible really? for him. Wow. Well, you couldn't be, honestly. Well, it's so sporadic. Because who acts like that? Yeah. You know? It's the social graces. That's what's been lost in our younger generation. It's sure sad now. But you know what, Ben? Look at it this way. Later today, you'll be out in the Monte Carlo pitching your ice cream products to kids at parks all over Utah County. Not that gross. Not that gross. Raven ice cream. Not that gross. We need to make a, we'll make a commercial for you. Let's make a commercial. Uh, I'll even voice it if you want. Raven ice cream. Not that gross. That's good. I think we need to go to break. We'll go to break. Kim Giles will be joining us from Clarity Point Life Coaching, folks. She's going to be walking us through uh, the topic of racial bias. Are Are you racially... Are you racially biased? Are you... Do you have preconceived ideas about other races I'm going to bet you probably do at a conscious level subconscious level somewhere we'll be talking about it stick with us this is the Matt Townsend Show we'll be right back welcome back friends to the Matt Townsend Show we are waiting to get uh our good contributor, Kim Giles, on the line. And as we're doing that, I wanted to talk um, just about some some crazy statistics. Listen to this. Almost everyone in Buenos Aires, Argentina, where I, by the way, uh, I didn't live in Buenos Aires, but I lived in Argentina for two years back in the day. Almost everyone in Buenos Aires is in therapy. It's a big part of life in Argentina. The country has the highest number of psychologists per capita in the world, 
with around 198 psychologists per uh, thousand people, which that's a lot. Don't you find that to be a lot? Is that does you think about that? Does that create a, a healthier country with so many people in um, one country so into therapy? I think it's a huge deal. If I if if I could tell you how many times I've struggled having a husband come and get counseling with a wife when the wife's begging for that to happen, but apparently in Argentina it's just what you do. It's it's the job of <laughs> every one of your neighbors is probably a therapist. And if that's the norm, then mental health uh, is is at the top of of a lot of the discussions that uh, that you'd be having at work. I wonder if in the end it makes a safer place. When I lived down there, it was, seemed a little crazy. So maybe it was the crazy years that uh, created this need for a lot of therapists. But um, anyway, pretty interesting little data point. Would you rather live in a country where everybody's getting therapy? Or a country where hardly anyone's doing it. Is it just that Argentines need more therapy? I don't think so. Believe me, I've been to places where they need more therapists. And I don't think that's it. So maybe it's just a more open view of it. I think it might be a great thing in the United States if we could if we could all be more open to getting some help. Well, Matt, you're just saying that because you want more money. You're a money grubber, and you want filthy lucre. Well, that's absolutely true. However, I also think it would help, wouldn't it? I think it could easily help to make uh, – I mean, think about the, a lot of the shootings we've had, a lot of the crazy stuff that's been going on. We need we need better mental health care access. Uh, isn't that right, Sadie? I absolutely agree with that. You know, uh, something I read a long time ago was talking about, um, we were studying it in my psychology class about how people in jail, uh-huh. um, you know, obviously a lot of them have mental issues and they're right. not getting the help they need. And these people, they go through this intense mental, you know, spasms or schizophrenia or whatever they may have, and they don't get the help they need. And so instead of improving and becoming, you know, the good citizens they need to become when they come out, they come out exactly the same and commit the same crimes. Well, and we used to, back in the day, people with mental health issues, we would send them to mental health facilities where they would get medicated and doctors would be on scene. And that used to be part of the the protocol. You'd send them to – but th- then they've got all of these really bad reputations for us just sticking mentally challenged people away. Mm-hmm. However, so they quit doing that Mm -hmm. and we didn't increase treatment for people with mental health issues, which is where a lot of the homeless started to pop up. Mm -hmm. And so now we have a lot of homeless that are suffering that way or they go to jail. Mm -hmm. And in jail, I mean, it's amazing the amount of meds that are being – that are being – need to be used in the mental health care facilities because – so many people have issues there. So mm-hmm. it's not going away. But it would be pretty nice if we were a country that uh, were, were – if we were becoming more tolerant of it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll get we'll get there. It, it takes time. It does. It takes time. Uh, a little shout out to Starbucks, by the way, store. Uh, if you're into having you know a $10 coffee, I hear that's the place to go. 
Really? Yeah. $10? A, I don't have $10. B, I don't drink coffee. I went in there once um, and didn't even know what anything was. Really? Yeah. Wait, so why are we shouting out to Starbucks? Here's the shout okay. out. <laughs> I thought it was about the $10. No. In Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, there's a Starbucks there that has created a unique opportunity for people who are deaf. They hire it's – a, it's a store with deaf employees. Most of the employees are deaf. Really? Yeah. So how do they go about making everything and they just, understanding orders? Just make it easier to point, to show, to smile, to read lips. Some can read lips. Some, But they're giving jobs to people that normally wouldn't get it and they're actually intentionally going after deaf customers. Interesting. And deaf employees. Good for them. They're cornering the deaf market. No, no, they're helping. They're helping. I think it's cool. That's great. It's really good. I mean, I'm telling you. They're not just... People aren't just after money. We're all part of a community trying to make the world better. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to get to to some headlines. We're going to do what we call the news flush, which is where we got a lot of stories we got to get through that we never get through. We're going to flush them out. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Fräuleins and Frères. Fräulein and Herrn. How do you say, guys? Herrn. Oh, never mind. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We uh, are about to engage in what we call the news flush. Integrity. Flush them if you got them. This is where we shoot through as much news as we can. Headline to headline. Terry and I go head to head. The stories we haven't been able to tell, but are still in our lists, and we really want to get rid of them. Uh, I'm going to start out. Well, I'm not going to start. I'm I'm going to start out with a different story than I was originally going to start with. I am going to start with a story about a porn dog. There are dogs now. This is so cool. That are police dogs that are designed to search out pornography. And that sounds a little weird. Like, how would they do that? And what all the kids are like, oh, boy. Um, But there's dogs that work with special agents that are trying to track or track down child pornographers. So when they when they track one down and they get to the person's house. They have to uh, find all of the electronic devices, all of the sim, all of the cards, all of the memory cards, everything they can. But they have a hard time finding all of the cards because the cards could be hidden in so many different places. Really small. But dogs can sniff out these memory cards. So they've trained dogs to go in, and it it happened in Heber, Utah. The police found a guy that they had tracked down for child pornography, and then they went. And bada-boom, bada-bing, the dogs found a bunch of stuff. Important news, folks. There are now porn-sniffing dogs. 
flushed. Next. Next story. What about jousting in the Olympics? Would you watch that? For sure. Two guys in suits of armor I, on a horse running each other with that. Big... I'd watch that. Okay. I prefer medieval combat. We love medieval right? combat. We watched that video, put it on our Twitter feed last week. Yeah. It's kind of odd to watch. But uh, the International Olympic Association, the IOC, if you will, opened up the possibility of new sports being added to its lineup two years ago, having dropped the 28-sport cap. Both golf and rugby will be played this summer in Rio, hmm. of a golf tournament and rugby, while a host of other sports such as karate, baseball, squash, uh, prepare for bids for Tokyo 2020. A petition launched by the English Heritage Group on Thursday called for the IOC to add jousting to that list of Olympic hopefuls, but this is not the first time the medieval event has been put forward. About a decade ago, an attempt was made by the International Jousting Association, or the IJA, IJA. to get the sport into the program. A lack of global unity is cited as preventing the effort from making any real impact. You have to have more than one country that wants to do this. Yeah. It's you know what it's hard to joust, which is why baseball fell out of the Olympics because there wasn't a lot of places that wanted to play baseball. Because you also would have to get your horse to Rio de Janeiro and a good chance to get Zika. So jousting as a recognized sport for sure done. Do it in a second. Flushed. Okay, if you have a chance to order a medium-sized pizza Mm. or a large pizza, Mm. which mathematically, should you order? The large. Always the large. Always the large. If you've ever downsized your pizza, according to Huffington Post, uh, you could have saved a little cash. Listen to this. Um, It all comes down to basic geometric geometric equations. Your Your high school math teacher is now coming back to haunt you. Here's the deal. A 16-inch pizza has an area of 200-inch square inches, Hmm. four times as large as the 8-inch pizza. But, as the video points out on ASAP Science, the difference in cost between the small pizza and an extra-large pizza is rarely two times more expensive. Never mind four times more expensive. The math is clear. You get the most bang for your buck when you order the larger pizza. Plus, you get to save it for leftovers, and you even get that much more fat in your arteries and and This is arteries. right up there with Democrats don't like Republicans. It seems sort of like the bigger pizza is going to give you more pizza. Now, I know they're doing the math versus mm-hmm. how much money versus you – know, is it worth the money to buy the bigger pizza? When I don't think it's a money issue. It's a more pizza issue. It's For you, it's not about money. It's about enjoyment. More pizza. What if you were alone on mm. a road trip, yes. you'd still buy the large? More pizza. You'd have food tomorrow. Well, but you'd also die no. more. Not when you eat it all. More pizza, more dead. Mm. Check pizza. the book. I think that's in the good book. <laughs> Flush it. International news. Iran destroyed 100,000 satellite dishes and receivers last week as part of a widespread crackdown against the illegal devices that authorities say are morally damaging. This according to a news report out of their capital city. The destruction ceremony took place in the presence of uh, a general of their uh, their, their militia there in, the da- in, in town they, who warned of the impact that satellite TV was having on the conservative country. Truth is that most satellite channels deviate the socials or society's morality and culture. 
he said during the event. What these televisions really achieve is increased divorce, addiction, and insecurity in society. Wow. He added that a total of one million Iranians had already voluntarily handed over their satellite apparatuses to authorities. Under the law, satellite equipment is banned, and those who distribute, use, or repair them can be fined up to $2,800. Woo! Yeah. And apparently 70% of Iranians violate the law, so. Well, of course they do. <laughs> they want to watch TV. It's a, uh, it's just, that's cool. I mean, I, that's not cool. That's interesting. Yeah. I, th- I think it's bad they've destroyed TV. Yeah. I mean. It's my friend. What are you supposed to do at night now? <laughs> Talk to your family? What? Come are on. Are you kidding me? Flush it. This is crazy. Um, okay. Moviegoer pulls a gun mm. after a boy kicks his seat during a Star Trek movie. Don't kick the guy's seat in front of you. This no. is why, by the way, I think it's it's dangerous to become nerdy. Every everybody knows that Marvel Comics has done more damage and DC. Let's not. Let's oh yeah, sorry, not DC. I thought they were the same thing. I'm pretty sure they're the same. Thing. No, they're yeah, not. Let's, uh, DC yeah. and okay, Marvel are the Just same. Just move thing. forward. Move forward. And. Um, and then, so when Marvel obtained the Star Trek franchise. Which they didn't, but go ahead. What? What? Correct me if I'm wrong, Terry. You're wrong. Go on. Okay. Um, it's its own thing. They're not owned by Marvel. Because this wouldn't happen if we were going to like a Bourne, a Jason Bourne movie. Could. Could happen anywhere. But a man in Paducah, Kentucky. Paducah? Paducah. Okay. I once had a Paducah. Uh, movie theater pulled a gun Saturday during a dispute over a child kicking his seat mm. during the Star Trek Beyond movie. The father told police that his son was kicking the back of the man's seat when the suspect stood up and cursed at the boy. Mm. The father attempted to intercede, and a fight broke out between the two men. When the dad got the upper hand, the uh, apparently a gun was pulled out. Then you get the whole stand your ground laws and the guy feared for his life. And yeah. Shouldn't he have had a, a phaser gun? That would be themat- thematically correct. Yes, a phaser would be what he would need. Maybe a tricorder to, to test out life signs. Okay. Nerd alert! I was wondering when the nerd would come out to play. <laughs> we done trapped him. We tricked him out, man. See, on the show, we like to get the nerd out of Terry every once in a while. Yeah. And all we usually have to say is something about Marvel Comics purchasing the franchise rights to Star Trek. Yeah, they didn't. And, that, that's cool, though. Thanks. And then I, again, th- I guess apparently the guy was arrested. And Of course. You pulled a gun on a kid. <laughs> but who hasn't wanted to pull a gun on a kid that was kicking his seat? Well, there's a difference between pulling a gun out on a kid yeah. and wanting to. That's yeah. exactly right. It's the same thing. Like, Terry. No, no. It says nothing to do with me. Yeah. I'm innocent i've done nothing yeah i was just going to talk about pool noodles but yeah, yeah i mean fine. who doesn't want to hit their kid on the head with a pool noodle but who actually does it everyone should it's wonderful terry south same thing he started it i just finished that's all sad and so flush it flush that movie goer and his phaser one more yeah apparently a study just proved that what we've suspected all along, and you can see it here at BYU Radio, office workers are only productive for three days a week. Duh. 
Productivity sinks uh, level sinks to just two and a half days in hot weather, according to new, re- new research. A poor night's sleep is the biggest cause of an unproductive day, yeah. followed by being too hot in the office mm-hmm. and being surrounded by distracting colleagues. Ugh. IT problems lead uh, to getting less work done, along with a feeling feeling too hungry and the after effects of having had one too many drinks the night before. That's not happening. Respondents say they find themselves overtired at work around two days a week, while four and five admit they watch the clock, typically for 55 minutes over the course of a week. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why Ben's got that big clock right there in front of him. Yeah. Just watching the clock. So it says on a typical working day, 15 minutes are spent gossiping, 14 minutes spent looking at no work-related content on the web, eight minutes are spent making teas and other beverages for coworkers in the office. Oh, boy. Wow. Friday, least productive day of the week for Brits, and Tuesday is the most unproductive day in the U.S. Wow. Yeah. Flush it. Okay, well, speaking of unproductive, we're going to take a break. Come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, friends. We're wrapping it up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're gonna toss it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, as they prepare for their show at the top of the hour. What's up, gentlemen? Well, we were feeling I, great until about 15 seconds ago. Why? Yeah, we're, we're moody now. Bronson Kafusi broke his ankle oh, practice this morning. Boy. Really? That's a bummer. Third round pick. He's going to do some damage in the league. Broke Man. his ankle. Now it's, it's looking like he's out for the entire season. Oh, no way. Isn't that terrible? That's horrible. If they need somebody, call me. I'll fit it in somehow. Can you believe that? Oh, that's sad. Oh, my heart goes out to he and his wife Hillary, and oh, I just you want to you you want to shine, right? You want to get in there and fight. You're a third round draft pick. <sighs> the injury concerns continue for BYU players with the Baltimore Ravens. Maybe there's something in the water here. Maybe we have brittle bone syndrome. That's terrible. Probably not. Anyway. Let's not dwell on that. I can't. I'm now sad. I can't even move on. <sighs> okay. Um, great to talk to you. Here's, here's a, here's a oh. question for you guys then. You know the Olympics. It's, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's on, tomorrow, it starts tomorrow night. They've already kind of started playing. Have they? Yeah. Anybody died? Not that I know of. Okay. So we go from broken ankles to death? Yeah, this is even better. Do you think, because they always want to add new sports to the Olympics, right? So uh, Baseball and softball were added again. Exactly. And uh, karate and squash are preparing bids for 2020. Mm -hmm. Golf and rugby will be played this summer in Rio 2016. The U.S. is defending its rugby title from 1912, I believe. there's, There's another... There's another... Sport they want to add. I want to talk to two sports experts. Um, Do you want us to go find? Yeah, some? if you guys could find you a couple, just, just, if, if there are any running around down there, <laughs> could you grab them? Uh, what do you think about jousting? For that's real? Not, that's yeah, for real, legit. I like the movie. Uh, yeah, Night's Tale. Heath Ledger, uh-huh. rest in peace. That's, that was good. That's good. my only real experience with jousting. Really. 
That and the video game that came out in the 80s, Joust. Yeah, oh, that was Appropriately good. named. Yeah. Yeah. Other yeah. than that, I don't know much. Can you so, imagine a video game? It's called basketball. What do you do? You play basketball. It's great. What game is that? It's basketball. What, would you watch it? Wouldn't I it be? I would totally watch it. Are you kidding yeah. me? Would you yeah. not watch I'd Joust? Watch oh, well, sure. here's, here's the thing. When you say watch, like this Olympics, I don't think I'm going to sit down and watch as much as I did because I'm going to hope that people tweet out shorter videos. And oh. Finds. It do, so I don't have to devote like hours upon hours. Yeah. That's kind of. I, I can watch something else, or it's like lazy my family, and then catch up later. That's like a little lazy Olympic watching. Yeah, it, I don't. It used to be back in the day you had to earn it. You earned it by watching boring stuff to see good stuff. Yeah. Now you can just see good. Why stuff. Why would I have to earn my entertainment? <sighs> I can choose. You millennials. <laughs> You do, you do not know. You have to watch the you don't 4 know. by 100 swimming prelims. No, I'm just watching the gold medal race. And even then, if there's like no Americans, I might not, not be watching it. Jerem, did just you give ever? Just to me on Vine, baby. Six seconds. Did you ever have to get up out of your chair and go change the channel on the television console in order to see something different? No, we, we always had remotes. I know. Okay, I'm telling you, it's a different generation. Because back then, we used to think about it. We're the second generation that's done that. But now, you guys, every commercial can just do that. Ba-boom, ba-boom. You just go through commercial. I would never get up. I would watch every commercial. (laughs) Life is better now. It's way better. (sighs) I know. It really is. You have all kinds of uh, opportunities. Yeah, we do. TV channels are just a microcosm of our I want you guys to suffer like we suffered. (laughs) <laughs> that's I, what, that's what we went the, through some of that suffering listen we'll say that when we're older about the younger generation like right. you don't know what it yeah it used to stink and now it doesn't and now it doesn't what stink. we have in certain okay. things right yeah yeah I get it, it. it's just a cyclical that way you know it's some, we've paid four dollars and fifty cents for a gallon of gas before yeah that's true but you didn't we've have to get out of your chair things too that we they, had no wi-fi growing up oh my gosh i know Dude. There was no Pokemon Go <laughs> weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you understand. Okay. Okay, your show. Yeah. What, what, uh, so now you got Kafusi to talk about. Oh. No, I'm see, not sure see, that we want to it's talk down about to a downer. It's going to be in the headlines. We will, we will not report it. We're not going to dwell. We're not going to dwell, dwell on it. Ton. Don't dwell on it. We, what else? If it are? mattered, if it like, if we had nothing else that mattered more than that, we would dwell yeah. on it. But we've got a lot hours. going on today. So today are, it's day sixteen of Big Twelve expansion exploration. <laughs> okay. It feels like it's been sixteen years. Yeah, yeah. But it's been sixteen days, and so we're trying to figure out. Where BYU fans are in terms of how confident they are in BYU getting a Big 12 invite, but we have pitted their confidence in that against their confidence in something that BYU football can control, and that is winning on the field. So what's more likely, nine wins for BYU football in 2016 mm-hmm. or a Big 12 expansion invite? Whoa. Wasn't it just predicted by somebody that it's going to be seven wins for BYU? And six a lot for of people Utah. have been floating around a Vegas casino. Yeah, that, that was that, it. That's been the number. And before the six that, to seven before mark. that number came out, my number was seven. seven Ooh. So that was right in line with just based on how tough the schedule is. Listen, if BYU exceeds that, that's great. Like I, I really am aiming for like an eight win season for BYU. I That'd think be that cool. would be significant. Yeah, I'm aiming for a trip to San Diego in December. There you go. Eight. That means BYU would be in a bowl game. That's what mm-hmm. that means. That's if, good. If BYU gets eight wins, that means they were better than last year. 
even though last year was a nine-win team because the schedule's tough. Right? Yeah, for sure. That's a good topic, Okay, That's number one. Anything else? Uh, the BYU backcourt uh, for men's hoops got an addition. His name's Colby Lafeson. Mm. We'll tell you who he is. And what the backcourt looks like now because they have completed filling up that backcourt. So a lot of new dudes. We'll tell you how new and, and who we expect to start and who we expect to be a significant contributor. Not cool. to mention long-term sports reporter for the Associated Press, Ralph Russo, to join us. He will Ralphie! Talk about, we'll talk about the elephant in the room, BYU to the Big 12. Mm. What does he think? Have him, have him find out how Jerem went to Vegas to find out it was seven wins. <laughs> okay. Just find that out. That's a good show, guys. Yeah, let's leave you with this teaser, too. Okay. What a Dallas reporter said that should have all BYU fans concerned. <gasps> Ooh, that's a great tease. Does it involve Mark Cuban? Nope. Good. Okay. <laughs> okay, you know. Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. All right, guys, this sounds like a great show. Go wax. I, I know you got to get ready. Oh. Pulling the wax on right now. All right. Yep. Good luck. Have a good yank Still on that. Food in Studio B, Spencer. Yep. Eating my protein bar. Good luck, gentlemen. Knock them right. dead. Getting swole. Peace out. <laughs> That's funny. Those boys. Damn boys are so cute. Hey, um, got a story for you here. You're not going to believe. You won't believe it. Home invasion. Let's go back to the bad boys. The hard part is it's, it's hard to find out who the bad boy is. But if you are a bad boy and you're thinking of invading somebody's home, you might want to think again. A Florida burglar's plan to break into a Sarasota County home instead uh, ended with a crook sustaining head injuries at the hand of his own weapon. 33-year-old Noah DeSott has been arrested and charged with four felony charges and one misdemeanor for armed burglary, battery, and criminal mischief. According to police, Dassett broke into an, a home armed with a baseball bat. Once inside the home, uh, um, inside, which was a married couple and three children, by the way, Dassault attacked the male resident. However, the resident was able to place Dassault in a bear hug, and his wife was able to grab the bat and attack Dassault. Play ball! Play ball! Dassault managed to flee the house, but was later apprehended... <laughs> By Charlotte County deputies after using a fake name at the hospital. Honestly, I don't think it's a fake name. He couldn't remember his name because he done was pounded on by uh, by lady. You can almost hear the guy holding the sod and then saying, hit him, mama. Hit him with the bat, mama. <laughs> She's just pounded. I'm going to hit him again. Hit him, mama. <laughs> that is great. See how my mind works. It's a little warped, sure, but fun. So, Dasat, I hope you learned your lesson. If you're going to break in, carry a pool noodle. They can hit you all they want with that. And if you need some advice, you can call Terry. Terry will show um, you how to we'll use post, the We home. can post his number on Twitter, I yeah. think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Terry loves us to post his number on Twitter. Sadie, will you make sure Terry's number's out there? Absolutely. Excellent. Hey, as you know, we like to end the show on a hero story. And this is a really cool story where a bunch of people got involved to save one life. Angela Martin knew something was dangerously wrong Monday evening when she saw the stranger 
a stranger, climb onto a concrete wall and scale a chain link fence high above busy Interstate 94 in St. Paul. She quickly parked her car on Dale Street overpass, called the police. Then she raced to the woman who had climbed over the fence and was clinging to it above the whizzing traffic, pleading her with her not to jump. No, honey, don't do this, she pleaded. She just kept saying, my mom don't love me. My mom don't care for me. And I keep saying, no, we love you. We love you. Martin, a Roseville mother of two and grandmother of six, was not going to stand there and let a woman die. Lord help me, she said to herself in that moment. I looked at her as one of my own. Within minutes, Martin and a diverse group of people would gather together around this stranger. As the young woman turned to the traffic below, she let go of the fence, ready to jump in. But a moment earlier, Martin had reached through the fence and grabbed her white T-shirt and then her belt, holding on with everything she had. Other motorists stopped by the overpass, raced over, reached through the fence to help Martin hold on to the stranger. She yelled to a passerby to go down to the interstate to try to stop traffic, which they did. Traffic was halted. Martin yelled out to the driver of a van to back up underneath the woman dangling from the bridge in hopes of breaking her fall if it came to that. Eventually, St. Paul police officer Vlad Krumgant got there, and he said he couldn't believe his eyes. A giant mass of people holding on to this one woman. State patrol, paramedics, and a fire engine uh, were called to... Uh, to help her off of the overpass. Eventually, by the way, they got her down. And uh, as the paramedics cared for the woman, the crowd clapped, shook hands, slapped high fives. Folks, that's what happens when we work together as a community, as a people. You're all heroes. And for all of you involved in that situation, we thank you for looking out for the one. That's why we do the show, to help us all uh, create a better world. We can't do it without you. We'll be back again tomorrow. We're here Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time. If you want to find us, find us on iTunes, on TuneIn. Go to the BYURadio.org app, and you can download every show we've ever done. Folks, until tomorrow, make it a great one. Make it safe. We'll talk again tomorrow.